It's all happening. Welcome back to the rockingest, rollingest podcast on the whole of the interwebs. Talk until the joy is gone, where nobody knows your name and all the beers are watered down. I am your host with the most, Rooney. And there's some other bloke over there, uh, Tom Geezer. Yeah, I think I think my name's Reggie. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. All I really know right now is... You've, you've literally just broken your microphone doing that. Don't gloss over it. You stole my out for the end of the episode. I was I was so excited about it. <laughs> it, was, it was the obvious thing. Yeah, like, I know. It still has to a catchphrase. Unless I, I just know. start screeching, Fever Dog! As me and Amy Please. have been doing for the last three days since I watched this film. <laughs> Please don't ever do that again. <laughs> Especially on this podcast. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness we're very sleepy today guys yeah. for one reason and another him for working hard me for being a irredeemable nerd um so you may have to bear with us because if you could see our faces right now we we, <laughs> we look, look like, like shit we look like we're overdosed on quaaludes right now <laughs> we look we look like william miller does at the end of this film when he gets home that's yes. that's how yeah. we look right now, but we don't get to just go and crash in our bed for like fourteen hours. We that's, have to spend three hours recording a podcast. <laughs> that scene where his mum comes out and he's standing there with his sister. <laughs> that just that look on his face, that shell shock look on his face. Yeah, we both have that right now. We both have that right now. But it's not <laughs> it's not after touring around the country with nothing coming rock band either. No, it's just age. It's just age, it's just old age. <laughs> we just can't handle this hardcore podcaster lifestyle anymore <laughs> I, I tell you i've i've put more work into this week's episode than any other episode we've ever done i think i'm um, on, on about seven hours of, of Jesus. Is, is this gonna be another fucking rivita episode no it's terribly no, dry it's not gonna be like full of all them disgusting filthy sex jokes you love so much but I think it's going to be more fascinating than this woman slept in a caravan for nine months and this mega rich guy gave six grand to someone to help him out. Okay, so I what think... I'll do for you guys is when I edit, I'll mark where the interesting bits start so you can just skip from here straight into the interesting parts. Just You're welcome. Put time, just put timestamps in there. Timestamps, the yeah. <laughs> there you interesting go. part one, 12 <laughs> minutes, 30 seconds. Interesting part two, 26 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Some shit about a film that's 21 years old. Five hours. Oh, God. I'm looking through my my intro notes, and they just seem like they never end. It so... worries me that you were turning pages that long just <laughs> yeah. in your intro. <laughs> I, I, I fell down a rabbit hole. Like I said to you, I thought I was going to knock this out in an hour. I thought I was going to go online, read some stuff, <laughs> write a little a little blurb, and then we were going to talk about it. But... I fell down a rabbit hole and just like <laughs> this is the cliff notes to be fair this is like the bare bones this is the least amount of information I could give there's so much more to this but before we get into it mm-hmm. um it raised the question I've been like saying I'm part of an ant group uh I'm god of the ants I am an ant for quite a while now you have this is true and I always assumed that you knew what I was talking about. 
until a couple of weeks ago you posted something on facebook about from an engineer about the uh the ship that was blocking the canal yeah 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 and it was in it was from an ant group yeah it was yes i'd never heard of these ant groups before really yeah I'd never, I didn't know they were a thing until then. Like, I am an ant because I'm a Tenham Steve Day fan. And that's what ant means to me. It means that, like, when I say I'm in, in an ant group, I mean I'm a, I'm oh. a CESD fan group. So when I'm like, I'm hanging out with ants, <laughs> I'm hanging out with my fellow brothers and sisters <laughs> that love Tenham Steve Dave. And then I saw that and I was like, oh. oh that's so, what I was talking about. And then I put two and two together and I was like, Ah, oh, so Anthrops were a thing. <laughs> they stole it. Ah, oh, it's gone full oh, circle. I have finally understood why yeah. I'm an ant now. I, yeah, yeah I, I was like, I was just really happy that you'd found one of the simple pleasures of Facebook. Like, I've I've been in both ant and um, bee groups before. Yeah. Um, and I was just really happy you discovered one of the simple innocent joys of Facebook, and were so thoroughly enjoying pretending yeah. to be an ant. And now I discover no. <laughs> well, I am an ant, and it is the simple joy of being around other people that I can be like, tell them, Steve, Dave, and they know what I'm talking about. Like that, that is something I've never had. I've never met, met another ant in real life. I've never met another person that even knows what it is, let alone loves it like I do. So when I found my um, shout out the Four Colors for Life group on Facebook, when I found my fellow ants, I was just like, wow, Facebook has been redeemed. There is a reason to keep it on my phone other than like, you know, <laughs> scrolling past all the shit that Rooney posts. Um, no, no. Hang on a minute. I post significantly less shit than either, either of the other two people I know you follow, both Will and Rosie, because those two are shit posters extraordinaire. I mean, Will basically should have his own social media like website Empire. where <laughs> yeah where, where he just posts shit and people just respond to it because i mean he's he he posts so much bait he should be wearing galoshes and a fucking well one of the little hats with little fishing yeah. books in it <laughs> um yeah i find it i find it like i'm not gonna say the name but you did just say it but i find it weird when people are like <laughs> constantly posting please repost this please share this i'm trying to build my business but not one of them people ever shares or reposts a touching post. It's like, if you want me to keep sharing your shit to help you build your business, why don't you help me build my thing that I'm trying to build? Have, have, no, you, ever no, posted, this, have this, you ever made a post saying, hey, everyone, please reshare this? Because no, I don't think because, I have. Because I'm not going to beg it like that. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that because I, I see it quite a lot. People saying, you, can you repost this? I'm doing this. Can you share this? Can you join this group? Blah, blah, blah. All that sort of stuff. Because um, I know loads of people who have got their own little businesses and they're, they're yeah. all trying to build it up and, you know, fair play to them. But, yeah, I don't think I've ever asked anyone to do that for me. So I might have to do that. I don't because I'm not desperate and I'm not going to beg it like that. But I would think just, like, just from one human to another, like, pure uh, politeness. <laughs> if somebody's sharing your stuff to help you build your thing... Mm. And then they post about their thing. You would you just would think, I'll oh, share that. Like yeah. Courtesy share. Yeah. yeah. And I'm all about people starting their own things, giving the finger to like the fucking system and doing their own thing. And mm. I share a lot. Like I share stuff. 
mostly for that person whose name I'm not going to use that you you used earlier. But, <laughs> it's right, he doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, so <laughs> yeah, he, he may one day. Um, he, he may listen to this episode because he may I know he's into. Episode. I can guarantee that now because we've inadvertently called him out on it. He'll listen to this episode and then be really arsy with us. Well, no, because of the subject matter. Yeah, episode. that's true. Actually, yeah, that's a very good point because this is. I, I'm fairly certain he just lives this. This yeah. is what he goes home and watches every night while he has his dinner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am Russell Hammond. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I find it weird. I find it, it's very narcissistic, right? It's like, you lot help me, but I'm not going to do anything for any of you. I think it's a lot of people don't, they don't think. They're, they're, they're wrapped up in what they're doing and that's their concern at the moment. And they just don't think about other people. And I've seen it before and you, you sort of casually, gently mention something like that. And then you see the penny drop. And they're yeah. like, and you can see the sudden realization of, oh shit, I've been asking everyone else to do this, but I haven't been doing it myself. Or, you know, I've been doing so wrapped up in this, I haven't noticed that so and so needs help or needs whatever. Yeah. I think it's yeah. probably that more than that. I don't think it's anything malicious. Oh, I don't think it's malicious. I'm not saying it's malicious at any point. I'm just saying I think it's like people can't see past what they're doing. Yeah, they're so wrapped up in what they're doing, they can't see that they well, to be fair. do the same thing for other people. But <laughs> like, I just if everybody was just like, I'll share this for you, but when I post about my thing, you'll share that, right? I'll share that. Yeah. Everybody would be getting a lot more kind of like, what's the? I'm bad. I'm bad with words again you are today. Bad at wording. It's a good thing I wrote everything I need to say about <laughs> the intro down. Um, if Everybody would get more exposure if we all just helped yeah, each other Facebook out. Facebook would then look like the fucking classifieds at the back of the old local newspaper. Yeah, yeah I'm not <laughs> saying like post six, like post about your thing every single day, but if once a week somebody could reshare what we're doing, aside from the space monkeys, then <laughs> we'd be getting. Then I would do it for them like once a day and then you know everybody would be getting more exposure we'd all be helping each other out and we'd kind of turn into like the freemasons but no no because i ain't into those weird kinky sex games with middle-aged oh, men. oh, oh with middle-aged men okay <laughs> yeah well, let me finish teenage men and oap men they're fine but middle-aged no i'm just not, no, not, not into that they're all they're all middle management and stuff, and they're just <laughs> boring people in the world. Fuck, um, it's it's two minutes of missionary and it's all over, mate. <laughs> that sounds like perf- perfect. It's just, to me. it's just you're just satisfying the, the 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 desperate need for human physical contact that their wives won't give them anymore because they're obese and disgusting. <laughs> Sorry, I may I may be focusing too much on one particular middle <laughs> yeah. management person I know. <laughs> I was going to say, we have had to do ten more minutes on gammons. <laughs> uh, right so yeah like so you've, i said you've got lots of stuff to get through so, i've got uh, lots of notes so let me start by saying that i am still trying to make touch great again <laughs> and i am trying to steer us clear of all that smutty filth stuff all those low-hanging fruit sex jokes that are just too easy i want more substance and our only fans I did a really good bad woman this week. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought, like, what can I do? What, what, 
can we talk about what ways am I going to make Tudgett great again? And then it hit me. This is a podcast about things we like, right? Yes. And I like, well, like is a weird word. <laughs> I'm fascinated by cults. I find the people that join cults fascinating. I find cult leaders fascinating. I could never do it. I'm far too cynical. No, it's too, <laughs> way too much scully in me to ever buy into any of this. Nobody, fact... um, nobody tell him that Tutchig is basically a cult at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I am part of a cult. <laughs> I say all that. I'm far too cynical. I'm far too scully. But Four Colours for Life is my cult. <laughs> Rye, Walton and Cure are my cult leaders. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, I find it fascinating. So this week, I thought I would teach you about the Heaven's Gate cult. Have you ever heard of the Heaven's Gate cult before? I have, yes, yes. because I've been on the internet. <laughs> what do you know about them? I know they were a cult, and to be honest, the details of all the various different crazy cults all blur into one's as big crazy cult for me. Oh, good. It's a good thing I'm here, then. It is, yes. You can abuse it. Uh, yeah, I can teach you all about the Heaven's Gate cult. Right. <clears throat> I'm going to try and do this with minimal stumbling and fuck-ups. So bear um, with me, all right? And if you're looking for the, uh, the the first checkpoint to skip, this is it, guys. Yeah. Oh, we're not even going to say these are the interesting parts. We're just going to do time <laughs> skip, skip over the parts. <laughs> 26 minutes to 42 minutes. Uh, <laughs> um, right, the Heaven's Gate cult. Heaven's Gate was an American UFO religious cult based in Rancho Santa Fe, San Diego, California. It was founded in 1974 and led by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. On March 26, 1997, deputies of the San Diego County Sheriff's Department discovered the bodies of 39 members of the group, including Applewhite, in their 9,200-square-foot mansion they had named the Monastery. Marshall Applewhite began his foray into biblical prophecy in the early 1970s after being fired from the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas for an alleged relationship with one of his male students. He met Bonnie Nettles, a 44-year-old married nurse, whilst visiting a friend in hospital in 1972. Right, It's rumoured that it was a psychiatric hospital, but... There's no real clarification on that, so we're going to skip past that. Um, Applewhite later recalled that he felt as though he had known Nettles for a long time, concluding that they had met in a past life. She told him their meeting had been foretold to her by extraterrestrials, persuading him that he had a divine assignment. Now, can we just stop there for a second? <laughs> yeah. I know that if a girl come up to me and was just like, <laughs> aliens came to visit me and they told me that you have a divine purpose on this earth. A aliens told me you're special. <laughs> yeah. I would be so excited that A, a girl was talking to me and B, she was saying I was special. But I would completely ignore the alien part and just be like, I am special. Finally. I always knew. How would you deal with that? Uh, I would humor them until it was safe for me to run the fuck away. I have enough crazy in my life. I don't need any more. Thanks. <laughs> I, you wouldn't start a cult with them. No, I fucking wouldn't. Oh, no, aliens told me that you have a message from God. Okay, love. What's that over there? Is it E.T.? There would be me. You wouldn't see me for shit, mate. 
<laughs> you get about 50 yards down the road, collapse, think you're having a mild heart attack, <laughs> and then they just chase up with you and be like, don't be silly, you're special. <laughs> I um, still wouldn't start a fucking cult with them. <laughs> Applewhite and Nettles soon solidified a basic outline of their beliefs. They concluded that they had been chosen to fulfil biblical prophecies and that they had been given higher level minds than anyone else. Does that remind you of two other people? <laughs> well, definitely one other person, but, you know, <laughs> I do have a higher level mind. <laughs> After last week's intro, do you think it reminds you of two other people? <laughs> no, yeah, good point. Good point. Um, Magic, cult. Yeah. At least our cult's like, just be a better man. Come on. Help out around the house. <laughs> Don't be fooled into doing jobs for sexual favours. Go Come and on. do the washing, you prick. Yeah. Um, they wrote a pamphlet that described G- a Jesus reincarnation as... Oh, sorry. They described Jesus's reincarnation as a Texan and in a thinly vowed reference to Applewhite. Sorry, America, fuck yeah. yeah, Jesus is coming back and he's toting. <laughs> Jesus Texas. and his six shooter. <laughs> yeah. Jesus in a cowboy hat and spurs. Yee ha, saith the Lord. <laughs> Furthermore, they concluded that they were the two witnesses described in the book of Revelation, calling themselves the UFO two. They began visiting churches and spiritual groups to spread word of their identities. Eventually, the UFO2 resolved to contact extraterrestrials and began seeking like-minded followers. They published adverts for meetings where they recruited disciples that they called the crew. At these meetings... It really does sound like us. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? (laughs) I was worried about us getting put on lists, but... I'm really worried about us being, you know, highlighted as potential cult leaders now. Yeah. Christ. <laughs> well, this is meant to be serious. This is meant to be a serious look at a cult. Um, <clears throat> at these meetings, they purported... Purp- purported? Purported. It is purported, right? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> at these meetings, they purported to represent beings from another planet called The Next Level who sought participants for an experiment. Those who agreed to take part in the experiment would be brought to a higher evolutionary level. Touching. Touching. (laughs) (laughs) Applewire Nettles, who are now going by the aliases Doe and T, went for a variety of names for their group before eventually sticking with Heaven's Gate. As the group grew in the pre-internet days, the clan of UFO followers all seem to have in common a need for communal belonging in an alternative path to a higher existence without the constraints of institutionalised faith. Sorry, some of my handwriting is terrible. Heaven's Gate members believed the planet Earth would be recycled, wiped clean, refurbished and rejuvenated before 2027. And the only chance for their consciousness to survive was to leave their human bodies at an appointed time i mean covid (laughs) is covid the beginning of this is it just the first of many things that are gonna kill off the population and rebirth a new a new era of higher level beings 
do you think? No. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, the group had been told that they would be transported with their bodies aboard a spacecraft that would come to Earth and take the crew to heaven, which they referred to as the next level. But when Nettles died of cancer in 1985, it confounded Applewhite's doctrine because Nettles was allegedly chosen by the next level to be a messenger on Earth, yet her body died instead of leaving physically to outer space. The belief system was then revised to include the leaving of consciousness from the body as equivalent to leaving the Earth in a spacecraft. Now, I've listened to a lot of podcasts about cults. I've read some books about cults. One thing they all have in common, mostly like end of the world cults, but all cults have in common, is that they have a very specific belief structure (laughs) until something proves them wrong. And then suddenly there's a whole new belief structure. (laughs) Like you see it a lot with the end of the world cults. They're like, the world's going to end on April 1st. And then April 1st passes and they're like, no, the the world's going to end on December 31st in 10 years. (laughs) In 10 years. (laughs) They believed, amongst other things, that to be eligible for membership to the next level, humans would have to shed every attachment to planet Earth. This meant all members had to give up all human-like characteristics, such as their family, friends, sexuality, individuality, jobs, money, and possessions when do we drop this bombshell on the space monkeys um i I figure we need to get some kind of compound first where we can gather them all together lock the gates sort of thing then we drop the bombshell once we have them all in one place where we can control them then we cut them off yeah because if we do it at the moment they can just leave the whatsapp group and then we're fucked yeah (laughs) we can't even go to the houses at the moment they can just click the unsubscribe button and then we're that's it yeah that's the cult. end of our cult all right so we'll keep that under wraps yeah <clears throat> the evolutionary level above human was a physical corporeal place another world in our universe where residents live in pure bliss and nourish themselves by absorbing pure sunlight that doesn't sound too bad to be fair i mean i burn pretty easily so i don't want to get like third degree sunburn every time i go out for dinner no, you just got to pack a lot of Factor 50 in your in your away bag when you... I suppose that would be equipped with going on a diet. And to be honest, yeah. I could do with going on a diet. <laughs> oh, I'll cover that in a bit. At the next level, beings do not engage in sexual intercourse, eating or dying. I'm the out. things that make it a million here. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no sex and no food. A... What the fuck's the point of being alive? <laughs> I mean, I... or not, I mean... <laughs> I'm happy with the no dying part. I'm used to the no sex part. But if you take eating <laughs> away from me, what the fuck have I got left to do? <laughs> like, seriously. Um, Evans Gate believed that what the Bible calls God is actually a highly developed extraterrestrial. Now, they're not the only ones that believe this. No, that, many, that, that belief is all over the place. Many ancient astronaut theorists believe the same thing. Mm. Members of Heaven's Gate believed that evil space aliens called Luciferians falsely represented themselves to Earthlings as God and conspired to keep humans from developing. <clears throat> Trump. Boris <clears throat> <laughs> Johnson. <clears throat> Techni- <laughs> technically advanced humanoids, these aliens have spacecraft, space-time travel, telepathy, and increased longevity. 
They use holograms to fake miracles. Carnal beings with with gender, they stopped training to achieve the kingdom of God thousands of years ago. Heaven's Gate believed that all existing religions on earth had been corrupted by these malevolent, malevolent aliens. I knew it wasn't Malv. I don't know. (laughs) Although these basic beliefs stayed generally consistent over the years, they, like most cults, beliefs were malleable enough to be modified as and when they needed to be. Heaven's Gate was only open to adults. Members gave up their possessions upon joining and they lived a highly ascetic lifestyle devoid of many indulgences, which, you know, is completely against the touching way. The group was tightly knit and everything was communally shared. In public, each member of the group only carried a $5 bill and a roll of quarters. Eight of the male members of the group, including Applewhite, voluntarily underwent castration as an extreme means of maintaining the ascetic lifestyle. Damn. That's not not something we'll be doing in our cult, guys. Don't worry. Um, The group initially attempted castration by having one of the members, a former nurse, perform the castration. But this initial attempt was very unsuccessful and almost resulted in the patient's death and caused at least one member to leave. All further castrations were performed in a hospital. (laughs) Don't don't worry, Space Monkey 5. We won't be asking you to do that. In October 1996, the group purchased alien abduction insurance that would cover up to 50 members and would pay out one million per person. The insurance covered... <clears throat> the insurance covered abduction, impregnation, or death by aliens. <laughs> I am in the wrong business. Yeah. I need to be an alien abduction insurance because people just pay me every month for something that they can't prove has ever happened. I'm totally on board with that. But what happens the day that, like, you've got a thousand members all paying you fifty dollars a month? Look, I've, I've dealt with abduction, <laughs> and then and then the spacecraft comes down abducts them 50 people and you suddenly have to pay out a 1000 million pounds who do who do i pay it out to do i pay it out to the people that have been abducted no no look i've dealt with insurance companies there are loopholes especially with something as nebulous and vague as alien abduction okay so you say they were abducted was it was it in a beam of light it was what color was it uh, it was a white light. Yeah, see, if you check clause 52 in pa- subparagraph 53, you'll see there we only cover um, abduction with white light on Tuesday uh, between the hours of 4.30 and uh, 5. So, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, your insurance is, is void. So we won't be paying out on this instance. <laughs> so you're going to be one of them, see you next Tuesday, are you? I will be an insurance provider, yes. Scumbag. <laughs> Insurance provider, yes. On March 19th slash 20th, 1997, Marshall Applewhite filmed himself in Doe's final exit. He spoke of mass suicide and the only way to evacuate this earth. After asserting that a spacecraft was trailing the Halbop Comet and that this event would represent the closure of Heaven's Gate. (laughs) Sounds to me like somebody was just like, oh, mate, he's died. Like my friend who supported me all this time has died. I've got no dick. I need a way. Like, 
there's no there's no point in living anymore so mass suicide it is and um oh there's a comet is there that's kind of sci-fi yeah so the the starship's trailing the comet and yeah yeah it all yeah, works guys we're all gonna kill ourselves yeah yeah especially us with no dicks dead yeah oh yeah yeah um Applewhite persuaded 38 followers to prepare for ritual suicide so their souls could board the supposed craft. Applewhite believed that after their deaths, a UFO would take their souls to another level of existence above human, which he described as being both physical and spiritual. Their prep included included each member videotaping a farewell message. To kill themselves, members took pheno- barbital mixed with applesauce or pudding and washed it down with vodka um that reminds me when we see the touching accounts and there's the big purchase from that um pharmaceutical company <laughs> just ignore it just ignore it yeah pheno, big big purchase of pheno barbital and uh, lots of uh, <laughs> pudding and vodka <laughs> pudding and vodka yeah no that does Minus the Fino Barbatel, it does sound like some weekends we had in your house. It does, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Additionally, they secured plastic bags around their heads after ingesting the mix mix to induce asphyxiation. All 39 were dressed in identical black shirts and sweatpants, brand new black and white night decades, and an armband reading Heaven's Gate Away Team, one of their many nods they gave to the fictional Star Trek universe. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, I mean, as a Star Trek fan, I should probably be insulted by that, but it's just so ridiculous. It's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking hell! There's dude. so much information on this, but and I had to kind of narrow bits down and get drop some and can. Uh, not congest, uh, compress some, you condense, compress some, but I, I know I had to put that in there because <laughs> I, I knew you'd love it. Um, each member had a five dollar bill and three quarters in their pockets. This was in reference to Huck Finn, in which it stated that it costs five dollars and 75 cents to ride the tail of a comet to heaven. And I included that because I assumed you've read Huck, Huck Finn, right. Uh, yeah, probably about 25 years ago or something. I thought I'd appeal to your literary side. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that you use the abbreviation as well, rather than, you know, Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> I just, that's just what it said on on the website. Um, <laughs> once a member was dead, a living member would arrange the body by removing the plastic bag and then pose the body neatly in their bed. With their faces and torsos covered by a square of purple cloth for privacy. In an interview, the two surviving members said that the identical clothing was used as a uniform for the mass suicide to represent unity. Whilst the night decades were chosen because they got a good deal on the shoes, and because, just like me, Applewhite was a big fan of Nike's. Sorry, I got some impromptu gas halfway through that. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> that paragraph. <laughs> That'll be the Fino Barbatol. Yeah. Heaven's Gate also coined the phrase, just do it, using a Nike slogan and Applewhite's nickname, which I thought was quite cute. Um, 
shoots. <laughs> well, for a cold to committed like mass ritual suicide, I thought that was quite cute. Um, the 39 members, 21 women and 18 men, are believed to have died in three groups over three successive days, with the remaining participants cleaning up after each prior group's deaths. The suicides occurred in groups of 15, 15 and 9 between March 22nd and March 26th. Now, I can almost understand, like, some person that you really look up to, like your cult leader who's charismatic and has got you believing all this bullshit. Says, like, right, we're going to do it. And kind of in the fever of, like, yeah, we're all in it together. You might make a mistake and, you know, eat the pudding, drink yeah. the Kool-Aid, whatever you're doing. But if you've got three days to think about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you watch all these other people die, you've got to clean up after them, pose them in bed, put the little purple uh, fabric over them and all that Surely stuff. you'd start asking At what questions. point do you go, maybe this isn't for me? <laughs> maybe. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe, like... Killing myself by eating the pudding is not really <laughs> the best thing I could be doing today. I don't. That's that bemuses and baffles my mind that you could like, especially like the last two people that have helped <laughs> thirty-seven. What was it? And I say, yeah, thirty-seven other people kill themselves. At no point over those three days did they go. Hmm, this is a bit fucked up. Well, those, yeah, but those last two didn't kill themselves, did they? No, no. They, they had three days to survive. Yeah, th- they had three days to realise this is fucking stupid. I'm going to wait till this lot are done, and then I'm off, mate. <laughs> no, no. I, I think the, the two survivors weren't part of that because, and we'll cover it later. Because the last two people they found weren't still had the plastic bags on their heads and didn't have the the purple covering. So I'm thinking the two people that actually survived uh... weren't there. But um, you're like this bit. Among the dead, and I apologise if I get the pronunciation of the name wrong, um, among the dead was Thomas Nichols, brother of the actress, Michelle Nichols, who is best known for her role as Uhura? Uhura. Uhura in uh, Star Trek. Yeah. (laughs) Really bought into the Star Trek, didn't they? They really did, didn't they? Jesus. Applewhite was the third from last to die. The two remaining members were the only ones found with bags over their heads and no purple cloth covering them. Before the last of the suicides, similar similar sets of packages were sent to numerous Heaven's Gate-affiliated individuals. At least one media outlet and the BBC department responsible for Louis Farrow's Weird Weekends, for which Heaven's Gate had had earlier declined participation. (laughs) I did not expect (laughs) to see Louis Farrow's name come up when I was researching (laughs) <clears throat> like could you imagine like just put yourself in Louis Farrow's like shoes for like five minutes you reach out to this cult and you're like I'd love to come and film with you for the weekend yeah just like you know get an insight into what it is you believe and they're like no 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 apparently they were like no we can't do it we're focused on something very important at the moment and we don't need any distractions <laughs> <laughs> but could you imagine just turning up to the office one day and someone's like you uh, this was sent to us, this and you just sit and watch these videos, and then you hear the news and everything else. It would be that must have been the weirdest day you ever had at yeah, work. Yeah, that must be bizarre. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> that, I mean, that's saying something for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, the packages contain two VHS tapes, one of those final exit and one containing the members' farewell messages. It also contained a letter stating that, among other things, we have exited our vehicles just as we entered them. Full of poison and pudding. Yeah. <laughs> Footy clothed in what I say, black shirts, joggers, black shirts, sweatpants, and, and bloody Nikes. Nikes. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> well, that's the end of my of my research. That was about fifteen pages, and as much as I tried not to stumble, I did. But it's fascinating, right? It's fascinating to think there are people in the world that are so lost and so devoid of direction in their life that they could come across people like Applewhite and Nettles and be like, yeah, this makes enough sense to castrate myself. It's a good job you got in first with that because I was going to say it amazes me that there are people this stupid in the world (laughs) that live long enough to join cults. Yeah, you see, you say stupid. I say lost. It takes a certain level of stupidity to castrate yourself because someone tells <laughs> yes, you exactly. to do it. It takes right, a stupid... Only if you're going to come and save us, but only if you cut your dick off. Um, takes... I'll, I'll risk not being saved by the aliens, thanks, mate. <laughs> it takes a certain level of stupidity to believe that these two people are were alien-affiliated. Apparently, like, I didn't put it in my notes, but they said that later on they claim to be walk-ins which basically means that alien alien consciousness was were using their body to spread the message <laughs> it takes but not just it's it's a i think it's a perfect mix of stupidity and loss like yeah lost there's a there's a certain thing these these cult members and not just this cult any cult yeah these people were searching for something that they don't see in like organized accepted religions they're looking for answers and they come across these charismatic people that get inside their heads and say these are the answers you're looking for and they find that fascinates me in the same way that like how could a serial quick serial killer kill how do people join how do people join cults and how do people be charismatic enough to start a cult <laughs> and get people believing again, in them? Again, again, you're far more you're far more forgiving, far more um nicer than I would because I wouldn't have excluded organized religions from the discussion because it's the same thing. They use the same they they, they prey on the lost and the and, and the weak and the desperate and they fill their heads with nonsense and they, they drag them into their little world of make believe and then make them do stupid things. Yeah. They use people, organized religion is a crutch that people use to get themselves through the day. And I understand, I understand that like when you become overwhelmed by the world, by everything that's going on, having faith, being able to sit back and just be like, it'll be okay because, you know, God has got our backs. My magical sky wizard of whichever denomination has got my back. I understand that to some people that is, it's relief and it's, comforting and it gives them it gives them hope when all hope is lost Mm. but organized religion they have their own set of problems they're not trying to they're never going to be like kill yourself for god kill yourself for allah kill yourself for they they literally do though (laughs) well when it comes to war i'm talking about mass suicide 
they're never going to pop up one day and be like, God sent me a message in my sleep. We must all drink the Kool-Aid. Like, can you imagine the Pope doing that, is... waking up one day going, yeah. Hey, bibbidi bobbidi boo, the God is speaking to me. And he said, you got on top of yourself with the Kool-Aid, huh? <laughs> I'm assuming the Pope's um, actually Italian. Italian. If not, I apologise. <laughs> Just Your really holiness. Bad. We all hope the Pope is a really bad stereotype of Mario, because oh, otherwise... That would, uh, that'd be hilarious. Imagine him giving like his sermons. Eh, hey, so I speak to you boys, and I say, eh, hey, it's Jesus. He said, turn to the other cheek, boy. You don't slap him, he slap you. You watch his feet, huh? <laughs> I don't... I can get into this. Yeah. I'm going to start a cult. <laughs> the cult of Mario. You just... The cult of Mario. <laughs> Oh no, catch it on a goomba. <laughs> I'll be Luigi, but I'll, I'll just be silent because <laughs> I can't do accents. Um, <laughs> like organized religions do it with like tithe and with yeah. like sh- shame. Like if you don't go to church, shame on you. Jeez. Whereas cults are very much like buy into this, feed my ego, and when I've had enough of it all, we'll just kill ourselves. It's, <laughs> I think cults are far more dangerous than organized religions. But because organised religion is acceptable. You 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 don't wander up the up to the town centre and walk past um, a cult building that gets tax relief and and you know you you walk past the church, <laughs> but they're essentially doing the same thing. I mean Scientology is yeah Scientology and uh, who are the others? Uh, the Johos Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, I mean they are just a very big cult. But to me, all religions fall. They're all cults. They all come under the same thing apart. From either um, the, the Greek religions or, or the Norse ones, because they're awesome. Norse religions, yes. <laughs> Norse and Greek religions are just fucking awesome. Oh, that, that reminds me. For my next choice of book club, we can do Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Hey? <laughs> um, I don't know. But I don't know about Buddhism. Buddhism is all about like being good and it's all about you it's not about yeah follow, follow these rules do these things otherwise god will smite you down it's just like yeah, buddhism doesn't it's it's kind of it's the, an exception to uh to most established religions organized religions yeah religions, yeah, yeah i've got so, i got, I got no problem right. with buddhism yeah no that's okay <laughs> buddhism is all right that's down with like the norse and the other people that's down with the norse and, and the greek gods because yeah. you know because they're interesting. <laughs> they're, they're interesting. And they don't say, oh, you, you you can't do this. You can't do that. you got to give me money. It's, you know. <laughs> yeah. They they don't want me to get up early on a Sunday and go and sing shitty songs with some old lady who smells of cat piss. No. Unfortunately, my cult cost me £20 a month on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a cult. That's a young lady taking her clothes off for money. <laughs> I'm just... I follow TSD on Patreon, so it costs me £20 a month. But every three months, I get a gift. So, you know. Oh, mate, you're getting ripped off. Area 11 is only £5 a month, and I get gifts and music. What, what <laughs> gifts? What gifts? I haven't got a gift yet. What gifts? They, 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 they sent out some uh, postcards, a customised Plectrum, which was really nice, and a sticker this month. I don't know what next month is going to be. Um, and that's in addition to the music that they release every month as well. So, it's a, To be fair, I get free podcasts free video podcasts and a gift so it's pretty cool big up tsd that patreon is patreon.com forward slash tell them steve <laughs> you're Dave. doing this wrong okay we're supposed to be pushing our 
money-making subscription services. Not no, that we have one at the moment. We're still in the in the paying our dues part. Once we get to ours, I will forgo. <laughs> I will forgo. Once we've paid our dues and we start our that's Patreon, what, I will forgo. Nonsense. <laughs> we, we're still playing the toilets at the moment. Once we get to the arenas, then and we start our own Patreon. <laughs> I'm going to start a Patreon, just for me. We're Co-host even... of Touching. Yeah, I follow you. I, I support your Patreon. I think I even reset it up the other day when I Is set it? up my tea. I think oh, so, yeah. Because <laughs> it changed... hasn't been updated in about 18 months. Yeah, I know. Because um, <laughs> everyone, everyone stopped subscribing, because everyone was like, shit, we've all lost our jobs, we've got no money. So they stopped subscribing. So I was like, well, I ain't fucking updating it for free if there's no one on there. <laughs> I lost my bank card, got a new bank card, and forgot to change the details um, that's why i did um uh where was i yeah uh yeah when we when we hit that level of being able to have a patreon i'll i'll forgo big enough anybody else it will just be about us but until then that's patreon.com forward slash tell them steve dave uh, <clears throat> right don't don't give them money give me money i need it more uh look up rune dog cosplay on on patreon give me monies I'm not ashamed to haul myself out. I'll send you pictures of me and my underwear. Oh, God. Maybe I'll finally get round to doing that Legend of Zelda boudoir shoot that me and Amy spoke about years ago. <laughs> that's, Look, if uh, it's okay for female cosplayers to do it, then it's okay for me to do it. <laughs> that's uh, patreon.com forward slash Steve Dave, where there is no nudity and just pure fun and hijinks um, exactly why would you want to give them money when you can give me money and get partial at least partial nudity <laughs> discount to my only fans five pound a month <laughs> boxes or briefs whichever they want um, i'll leave it to the punters <laughs> neither mate i'll wear thongs yeah, every neither. Day. neither i just have that edible underwear oh, oh. <laughs> what do you think i've got a dog for <laughs> oh, that was my joke coming next month on the Rune Dog Cosplay Patreon <laughs> videos of Lando <laughs> revealing Rooney one mouthful at a time. <laughs> Listen, he's got he's got my chicken nuggets and pizza for his kid. Please support me. <laughs> yeah, support me. My child is eating me out of house and home. <laughs> um, on a more sensible thing, if you have found any of the uh, Heaven's Gate cult stuff as fascinating as I do. There's so much more to the story of Heaven's Gate. That is literally the bullet points, the cliff yeah. notes. So you can just type it in Wikipedia, go look it up. There's bare podcasts out there that talk about cults. Um, the podcast cult podcast is good. I also listen to that as part of my research. So yeah, there'll be more cults in, in coming weeks. And uh, if if you if you've been personally affected by any of the issues mentioned in today's episode, check yeah. us out on social media. We assure you, our cult, I mean our our group of ascension uh, has a one hundred percent no castrations policy. So yeah. Uh, yeah, no castrations. The only suicide will be me. And um, <laughs> but we'll have fun with it. Yeah, there'll be bunting. Oh yeah, there'll be a there'll be a patreon exclusive video of it happening we'll um, turn him into a pinata 
each of the space monkeys will get three hits to see <laughs> which organ they can knock out of my body first. <laughs> oh, it's okay because after after you die, we'll pickle all your organs so that you know they, they're preserved. And then one day when we open the, the museum of Tajik, there'll be a glass case with jars of my organs in them. Just <laughs> Reggie's organs. Yeah. The original co-host back in the in the late two thousand uh, mid two thousands was Reggie. He died in a ritual suicide where his organs were pickled, stitched back into his body, and used as a pinata by members of the cult. <laughs> Cyber Rooney wishes us all to remember. <laughs> I could just imagine like the museum of touching and there'll be one very very tiny glass case with jars of my organs in it and then like 12 huge glass cases full of Rooney sex toys <laughs> i'll still be there i'm gonna download my consciousness so that i can continue leading the cult forever <laughs> Just every time you turn around the corner there'll be another cardboard cutout of Rooney dressed as a famous geeky female <laughs> Best museum ever. ever. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh about it, but there is actually like a TESD museum in Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash where they've just got all the bits of like merch and things that fans have sent in and stuff from over the years. It's really cool. One day. We, well, I have a museum, but it's just empty because it's yeah. literally I own one T-shirt and I wear that. So that can't go in the museum yet. <laughs> we haven't done anything else. <laughs> oh, talking about like artifacts. When I posted about my new uh, notebook coming through, mm. I sent, I realized how expensive these notebooks are. Yeah. So I sent a little a little message to Stacey because she bought my first one saying, like, I know I thanked you at the time, but these are really expensive for <laughs> notebooks for notebooks they're really expensive so again thank you very much and she was just like wow can you can you imagine when you get to episode 500 you could have a whole shelf full of like different colored notebooks <laughs> and i was just like wow that would be pretty cool but like 500 episodes of this <laughs> <laughs> well it's only like 10 and a bit times what we've already done that would be what, what would that be like nine years nine and a bit years i'm not sure the world could take that much nonsense yeah. <laughs> i think we'd have run out of stuff that we like by then yeah because yeah. we're covering we're, we're covering things that i like faster than i'm discovering new things that i like so <laughs> yeah. literally i had to give like i've like because we're obviously in lockdown and i have no friends or no one really cares about me i don't do anything on saturday nights so saturday nights are normally my like research for touching <laughs> just find films i've never seen before and watch them in case like in the hope that one day we can cover them um, <laughs> I, I, these days i don't find time to watch films unless i'm watching them for the podcast yeah but that's because you've, you've got geeky friends and you spend your saturday evenings like playing video games. pretending to be a viking or flying around space yeah i yeah. Do, do that a lot this is I true don't, i don't i watch i I'm more dedicated to touching. I spend my Saturday nights. Um, more dedicated to touching. You just don't have anything else in your life. Yeah. Your existence is is a level below mine. It's sadder than mine, which is quite an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the worst thing is I can't even argue. No, I know. I know. <laughs> I cannot touching wait. Touching down. I cannot wait for the world to open up so I can start going to the cinema on my, on my own. <laughs> Because that, that 
that would be a vast improvement on my life at the moment. Oh, seriously, guys, somebody just like either put him out of his misery or sleep with him. One of the two. I'm not I'm not even talking about sex. Or like sex. No, never mind. I'm just like sleep next to you, just for human contact. <laughs> sex would be nice. To have somebody <laughs> else to, to have somebody else present when I orgasm would be mind blowing. <laughs> as long as they're like Aware it's going to happen because it'll be kind of creepy if just like you meet up for dinner or something and you're just like, uh, uh, uh. Oh, you've clearly not spoken to your mum lately, have you? Because I went around her Thursday night and just <laughs> masturbated through the uh, <laughs> through the post box. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't my mum, that was Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought your mum was really good at licking, so <laughs> definitely Bonnie. Definitely wasn't Loki because he's a biter. <laughs> he's perfect. He was just draining his mug of coffee then, guys. He's now drowning. <laughs> oh, I may have just killed Reggie. Sorry. <laughs> Either that or he's just orgasm, one of the two. <laughs> A little bit of choking. <laughs> could you imagine the joy I could bring someone if I actually did that? What? Wank through the letterbox or drowned at yeah, your mum's house? My mum's well, house. <laughs> if I drowned, if I drowned on coffee, there'd be a lot more people joyful than the, the, the one. <laughs> your mum could finally get started on making the Reggie pinata. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just text her. Job done. Job done. Yeah. <laughs> You're up. Feed the yeah. leftover bits to Shamu. <laughs> and there's an in joke that there's probably only one other person in the yeah. world that will get. He <laughs> doesn't even listen. He doesn't even bloody listen. Um, I've got to go around and see him actually at some point. I've got a bag of presents downstairs for him, for, like for his birthday last year. Both of his kids' birthdays and Christmas. I I've got this theory that on June 21st, the world is just going to be intolerable everybody <laughs> yep. in the world is going to be out filling the roads filling shops filling air i know shops are opening soon but i yeah, think Monday's most people Monday. are going to be like me which is like yeah i'll leave all the idiots to you know go shopping aside from a haircut i've got to go for a haircut <laughs> tomorrow i will wear four masks when I go for <laughs> but yeah i'm like for each nipple I said, I said to someone the other day, I can't wait for June 21st. And they're like, yeah, but the world's, everything's going to be open before that. That's just the date that there should be no more restrictions. And I'm like, yes, but I'm not going to be one of them idiots that rushes out in the first few weeks. And it's, like, it's like I just, said, the first time they, they, they relaxed the, the lockdown restrictions, like way back last year. I saw people queuing outside the pub. I mean, oh, yeah. What the just, fuck? Just, just remember, go people. To an off license. Drink in at chess, home. in chess, the pawns go first. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, that that's that's my whole approach to, the, the, to that. I'm stealing that. Yeah, I'm st- that's going to be my quote for the next. I heard months. that the other year, and when I saw these people just like queuing for two hours to get into fucking Primark, I was just like, nah, mate. Yeah. And that became my mantra for about like six months last year. <laughs> I'm still undecided on what haircut I'm going to get, but I think if I do go really... It's not 2001. I mean, it can be in your heart. 
in my in my heart is forever 1996 <laughs> um, I'm, um yeah i was gonna say yeah i'm still undecided on my hair but it, i did realize that even if i do get it cut short in like three months when there's a new variant that the vaccine doesn't cover and we're all stuck in lockdown again i can grow it i can grow it back <laughs> It's I think fine. if that happens again, I'm just going to say fuck it and just go out and start licking people because, to be honest, dying of asphyxiation is probably better than being stuck indoors again for another fucking 12 months. I, I don't think I'll I don't go wanna, insane. I don't want to burst the hope bubble that seems to be like <laughs> encompassing the world. It's the only the thing getting the, the country moment. through at the moment is this hope. But do you think that like there is going to be a, a variant or because, I mean, they keep coming on on the news saying there is no evidence to suggest that these vaccines don't work against the variant these variants mm. but what they don't say is there's no evidence to suggest that they do <laughs> yeah no that is and true viruses are sneaky and i think i think before the end of 2021 there'll be a variant that the vaccine doesn't cover and we'll all be locked back up in our houses again probably and you know who'll be to blame for that the people Grace. that didn't, the, no, the people that didn't stay the fuck at home when they were supposed to, because a variant can't mutate and spread if everyone sat at home not contacting each other. It's when people contact that the virus goes out there and one person's uh, infection mutates. If that person is sat the fuck at home on their own, it can't spread to anyone because it kills them or the virus dies. One of the two. But when they go out and they're just like, ah, oh, it's all bullshit, and it, yeah, I don't wear a mask and all that bullshit, they then go out and they give that variant to everybody. So if everyone just stayed the fuck at home between now and June 21st, we'd be coming out, we'd be like fucking New Zealand. It'd be marvellous. Can you imagine? Do you ever think the world's going to get back to being 100% the way it was before? Yeah, probably. Do you think, yeah? Yeah. I think there's there's enough people in this world that are going to be scared enough that they won't go run into gigs they won't go run into sporting events oh, they, yeah, won't they, won't, they won't go be rushing out. To, it's going to take to, years it's going to take uh, it's going to be a process of years to get people feeling comfortable with doing that yeah but yeah i think it will it's, it's like with the, the, the what was it 1919 flu epidemic yeah. when you know that people thought that was the end of the world and nothing would ever be the same again and all it did was actually improve people's like <laughs> awareness of of hygiene and and protecting themselves and each other from viruses, which everyone conveniently forgot when uh, COVID nineteen arrived. <laughs> yes, because most of them people were probably dead. No, but I mean in general, society learned these lessons. But then, oh, okay. Society society is only as intelligent as the dumbest member, and uh, yeah, fucked, th- there's a lot of rocks in this society apparently, and they're all out there walking, talking, and not wearing masks. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking licking the handrails on the underground and shit. Don't park out my front. Don't Move park out my car. front. Move your car. Stop when are you coming round for round two? I've got a massive box of CDs here. Oh, um, <laughs> at some point during the week, I'll come <laughs> I'm just readying myself for round two with Gammon. I'm literally going to purposefully park outside his house as well. I know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I might just go and mount the gun. Go- I might uh, park my car on like the other side of the road opposite his house and just mount the GoPro in there just so that I can just film the whole thing. Oh, I had an idea using to utilize the GoPro. Yeah. <laughs> for that and I think it's gonna be good. But it's you gonna always take... think your ideas are gonna be good. No, but I 
I think this one's going to be next level good. It oh. just it's going to take you, me, and Amy spending a weekend in Epping Forest. Anyway, moving on. Moving what, on, yeah. What did you choose to cover this week? I chose Almost Famous because it's one of those films that I watched like religiously for years. I've seen it dozens of times um, and then sort of forgot about when I got rid of my last DVD player because I only had it on DVD. Um, and it's been sat on the list basically since we started this podcast. And I was perusing it the other day to see what we had lurking on there that we could do. And yeah, then suddenly realized, shit, how have we not covered this already? (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's what we covered this week. And it's a lot longer than I remember it being. (laughs) Oh, it is so long. (laughs) I do remember going to see it when when it came out with you and Dal. And this was back before any of us could drive. Oh, yeah. And I remember the walk home just being buzzing the entire way home after watching this film because i was just so enthused having seen it and being in a band and like i was like yes gonna be still water gonna be famous gonna nearly die in a plane and yeah i was really hyped for for life hyped for life yeah. <laughs> i'm not anymore i'm just ground down disappointed jaded and bitter but i was i remember watching it thinking yes i can finally fuck 16 year old oh no that's oh nice. no no <laughs> Anyway, before we get into that, <coughs> I have a whole bunch of trivia. Trivia! <laughs> Does anybody out there actually enjoy that? Let us know, because I can, I can cut that out if people don't like it. I can't make him stop, but I can edit it out so you don't have to suffer it the same way I do. Because by suffering, you mean that um, I I go out of my way to add reverb to it and <laughs> to, to make it a part of the episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but suffering. people may not enjoy it. Um, I don't mind. Fuck, this is our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did I say that? Because that sounded like me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I He's stealing Reggie. my lines now, guys. I what am Reggie. You are Reggie. <laughs> Reggie. Uh, you're supposed to be making this a podcast of substance, not just telling everyone to fuck off because it's our podcast. I did. I just spent 40 minutes fascinating people with a cult. <sighs> <laughs> I have no words. Anyway. I almost famous. The mean, stretched the meaning of the word fascinating. You really as did. far as I could go there. <laughs> it's just fascinated that you managed to sit down and write for that long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. So, it was released September 22nd, 2000, which was fucking ages ago, as I realised when I was writing this. like, the first, what, two years of our band, when things were, when we still had hope and optimism. When we were yeah. all excited about shit, yeah. Yeah, this film hit at the exact right time, didn't it? 20, almost 21 fucking years ago. Um, Madness. Budget, 60 million US dollars. Is that Box it? off, yeah. Wait till you hear the box office. 47.4 million US dollars. Is that it? It was a commercial flop. Oh, I never saw that coming. It's another one of those that found its fan base after yeah. its theatrical falling over. I, th- <laughs> I thought you were going to say like 400 million. No, it, uh, yeah, it became one of these, these cult films. And there's been like um, 
uh, last year there was a almost famous uh, 20 year reunion. Oh, really? basically looked at it and what the cast were up to now and spoke to key members of the crew and cast and all that sort of stuff. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but it is on my list of things to do. Um, but yeah, it's a, that's another one that. So it's a cult classic now. Isn't it? It's another cult classic. It's 20 odd years. It's 20 years old. I think it, it, it's allowed to call itself a classic if people are still going out watching it. And you have to, you can tell when something's still popular because you have to pay for it on Amazon Prime Video. Yeah, I didn't. Which, I watched it for free on Sky, but yeah. Yeah, if you want to watch this on Amazon Prime, you have to pay for it. It's £3.49 or something at the moment. Almost Famous is available for free on Sky Cinema if you have a Sky Cinema um, subscription. Or, as Rooney <laughs> said, you can go and pay for it on Amazon. You can also Yo-Ho-Ho Mihartis are a gym lad, um, like some unscrupulous people may have done, from uh, kickass.to. <laughs> But anyway, moving along from things that may get us incriminated. I was going to say, I'm the one that's getting us on lists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's okay, because while they're focusing on us being a cult, they're not focusing on my piratical activities. Um, <clears throat> written and directed by Cameron Crowe. Yeah. Um, starring Billy Crudup, Francis McDormand, Kate Hudson, Jason Lee, Patrick. I'm going to say Fugit because fuck it just sounds stupid. Yeah. Um, and Anna Patrick, Packman. Fuck it. Fuck it. Exactly. I mean, in and, America, it's probably better, but. And uh, Rain Wilson. I'm going to add him to the list because okay. I love him. I think he's great. And he was in this film and I never realized until I watched it this play? time. He plays like the assistant to the Rolling Stone editor. Oh, the guy from um, the American Office. Yeah, he plays Dwight in the American Office. He's got yeah. a podcast. Oh, he's, he's on a podcast called Radio Rental, but he's also got his own podcast called Dark Air. But he's yeah, weird. he is weird, but I love him for his weirdness. <laughs> so the character of William's mother was actually based on Crow's own mother, because obviously yeah. this whole film is semi-autobiographical. Uh, yeah, oh, that's, something, Crow. that's something I had a vague memory of someone saying to me, this is based on a true story. This is based on a true story. I didn't look it up because I wanted to ask you on the podcast. Yes. it's How it's, much of this do you think is true how much do you think is allegedly it is all inspired by real events yeah i mean it's it's it it didn't all happen to one band it's bits taken from various different bands that he traveled with and interviewed and things that he saw and did but yeah the whole thing is is based on his early experiences as a music journalist when he was i think it was only a couple of years older than william is in in the film so um but yeah so the the character is based on crow's own mother uh, and when she appeared on set she apparently has a cameo in the film oh, okay. uh, when she appeared on set for the cameo crow made every effort to keep her away from francis mcdormand who was uh obviously playing the character based on her so that her interpretation of the part wouldn't be swayed yeah however when he left the set for a few minutes on the first day of shooting he returned to find mcdormand and his mother having lunch together Oh no! And they apparently got on incredibly well. I bet, yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> You're a killjoy. I'm a killjoy. <gasps> we can be killjoys together. We should combine forces. <laughs> yeah. Mecha killjoy. <laughs> uh, Peter Frampton. Yeah. I, mean, I think everybody recognizes that name. Served as technical consultant on the film. And wrote two of the Stillwater songs. Oh, okay. The other 
The other two full Stillwater songs were written by Crow and his then wife, uh, Nancy Wilson, who was uh, part of the band Heart, apparently. Oh, never I heard never, of them, but... I never had a heart and I never knew that he wrote two of the songs. Like, <clears throat> Kevin Crow's a very talented motherfucker, isn't he? He is indeed. Yeah. Um, the music acknowledgements on the film, if you're watching the credits, actually credit Russell Hammond and Stillwater as if they were the real authors and performers. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's nice. I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching it uh, years ago to find out about the songs and seeing yeah. that and just being really fucking confused because I was yeah. like, but wait. <laughs> They're real. What? What? <laughs> it, gets more com- it gets more confusing as as will become clear later on when, with one of my other notes when you try and search, you know, are Stillwater a real band? Okay. But I'll get on to that later. Um, Mike McGreedy of Pearl Jam played lead guitar on all the Stillwater songs. Ah, which it does a really good job, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't like Pearl Jam, but there you go. Oh, there it is. Uh, Stillwater are an actual band signed okay. to Capricorn Records in Georgia. The producers contacted them to ask if they could use the name for free. The band said not unless they were compensated. So they were paid a fee for the use of their name in the film. Why didn't I just come up with an, uh, another name? Is it because their their name was kind of based on like, Credence Clearwater Revival or something like that? No idea. I think uh, Cameron Crowe was just really committed to that being the name of the band and it had already made it into sort of like production when they realised, oh, hey, there's actually already a band out there with music and stuff and they use, oh, shit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, Crowe took a copy of the film to London for a special screening with Led Zeppelin members Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. Ah. After the screening, Led Zeppelin granted Crow the right to use one of their songs on the soundtrack. The first time they had ever consented to this since allowing Crow to use Cashmere in Fast Times at Ridgemount High. And they ah. also gave him rights to four of their other songs in the movie itself. Although they did not grant him the rights to Stairway to Heaven for an intended scene, um, which uh, never actually made it into the theatrical cut. But on the special bootleg edition DVD, the scene is included as an extra, sans the song, where the viewer is instructed by a watermark to begin playing it themselves. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. This is how we get around it. Yeah. You it's like, to, you have to scene, get ready at home. it on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's genius. It's interactive media at its best. Um, exactly. Do you... I've got the note later on, but I'm just going to ask it now. Do you know how much of the 16 million budget was spent on the soundtrack? Because uh, my yes, initial I did, my initial first thought was, wow, this soundtrack must have cost a lot. But now you're like, no, you kind of got round Jimmy Page and Robert Barr. It's probably because if like they actually had to pay for that, it probably would have cost them the whole music budget. But most films have a music budget of less than 1.5 million. Yeah. This film featured over 50 songs with a music budget of 3.5 million. Yeah, I knew it was going to be higher than average. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of big tunes in here so they had to pay the big money to get it. Which but yeah. The film would have suffered. Like that's the thing like if they'd kind of written their own songs or yeah. they'd taken less well-known songs or the film would have really suffered. It's like the songs put you in the place yeah. at the time and they really sell the authenticity of what's going on exactly so, 
Yeah, I think the best thing they probably did during production was be like, yeah, we'll give you an extra two mil. Yeah, yeah, three and a half million just on getting the music right. Yeah, I've also the the it's a stupidly long uh, soundtrack. I've got it as of yesterday, um, and it is massively long. But there are some proper bangers. I'm not a huge fan of seventies music in general, but yeah. there are some proper some bangers. bangers on there. Yeah. Even yeah, for me, I mean, the fact that I'm calling them bangers, I don't yeah. think I've ever referred to a song as a banger before in my life, but <laughs> there are some bangers on it. It just like I'm just sitting here wondering now how much money do musicians make on just, yeah, you can use my song in a film because most films only really have like two, maybe three, like well known mm. songs in them. And if their budgets are like 1.5, you it's like, yeah, <laughs> so well, yeah, you can do that and. Me absolutely, for me to absolutely do nothing other than say yes, yes I'm gonna yeah. like half a mil. Yeah, it must be crazy the amount of like ancillary revenues of money. You get, <laughs> yeah, get to a certain point. I, yeah. I don't know because uh, my music's only ever been used in one film, and I gave them rights to use it for free. So I don't know this. Tell me. Um, when Amy was at university, yeah. Um, I can't remember how, but someone on one of the filmmaking courses at her uni, uh, I think it was one of her housemates knew this person. This person needed some music. And they were like, oh, my housemate's boyfriend is a musician. Here's his music. You know, have listened to it. And and they liked it so much, they contacted me. And they, they wanted to use, I think, three of my Tin Soldier tracks on their, like, end-of-year film or something. Do you remember which one? Much. I know Poseidon's Poison was on there. I can't remember what the other ones were, but it was it's three of my recorded tracks, and I think I've only ever recorded about six. So 50% of my catalogue was used on that film. So <laughs> did I get any credit as, like, you know, producer, mixer? No. No, no <laughs> credit whatsoever. Shit, nothing. Nope. You're I a producer. Have... You got your fee, and that's it. It's one and done. You don't I get got my fee? Yeah. Your uh, ongoing friendship with me. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to push the sliders whilst I I made music. I mean, that's a fucking magical experience. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sensing a lack of gratitude here, Reg. <laughs> I got to argue with you about <laughs> doing more than one acoustic guitar on one vocal every single time you brought a song to me. Yeah. 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 But listening back, you can see how often I lost that argument. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like, so what was going on here? Well, we spent. Um, 20 minutes getting down the the vocal and the acoustic and actually completing the song as i wanted it well what are the other 53 tracks well wow. <laughs> after that we spend an hour in the garden uh visiting another plane of existence and then <laughs> we recorded bird song <laughs> yeah Leave and, and, and we... then reggie <laughs> reggie pulled out a keyboard and made me learn to play it in the studio on the spot so then we had because... oboes and strings yeah. and thunder and helicopter noises <laughs> <laughs> that Reggie was a visionary. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely something. Four letters begins with C, ends with T, and sounds like run. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, the film is director Cameron Crowe's semi-autobiographical account of life as a young Rolling Stone reporter. The actual group that Crowe first toured with was the Allman Brothers Band. Greg Allman distrusted him and kept asking if he was a narc. Is that why there's an Allman Brothers poster in, in his yes. bedroom? There yeah. are still Allman Brothers references throughout the, the, yeah. the film. Um, Crow was also in a near-fatal plane crash whilst travelling with The Who. 
So ah, you can see yeah. various elements from different, like I said earlier, yeah. pulled in from different areas to make this one story. Um, to look like a real rock band, the four actors in Stillwater rehearsed for four hours a night, five nights a week for six weeks. Bloody hell. Which is, I mean, that's 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 more rehearsals um, in six weeks than we did in six years as an actual no, band. No, 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 that's <laughs> bullshit. Maybe Tin Soldier, but I one of the things I was always proud about with Reverb was we always, we may not, we may have, not been sober or good well, yeah, at we did usually but we were committed sunday rehearsals. to rehearsals sunday morning I mean, sunday why afternoon. we thought sunday morning was a good time to rehearse considering we spent most friday and saturday nights out of our trees yeah um, um not sleeping <laughs> do you remember when we had the pig shed we were like rehearsing because we were paying so much for it we were rehearsing like four or five times a week no, yeah, that was insane, actually. And also having impromptu parties with members of the subways. That was pretty good. Yeah, lots of parties. Oh, the pub's kicking out. Come back to our converted pig shed slash rehearsal studio. We can just get high on the sofas and, and random crap that we've raided from skips and, and stuff. <laughs> there's, there's two things that I would always remember about that period of time. One was that Steve Harris from Iron Maiden put in a noise complaint about us. Yeah, because we were louder than we were too loud for a member of Iron Maiden, which yeah, that was on I our think... that was on our website. I remember that it was it was yeah. like the headline on our website for years. <laughs> I think it might have been the four AM parties. <laughs> yeah, it was. That was that was with one of the subways. That was when they came. There were two of them. There was yes, it was when they came uh, back with us, and we were jamming at like fucking two AM or something. <laughs> I just, all I remember is people jamming, Charlotte dancing, and at the end of the night, my other memory of that place and that time, and you might want to cut this out, but I remember you falling asleep with a bottle of poppers propped under, under, your, under your nose. God, yeah, because yeah, I woke up the, follow, I remember the following day. It felt like someone was just attacking my head with an axe all day long. That was that Don't night, that, I think. Yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah. Would not surprise me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Memory, good memories. Memories. Um, most, oh, I've already covered the music budget. According to Cameron Crowe, he sent the script around town to see if he could get anyone to respond to it. Yeah. Steven Spielberg, founder of DreamWorks Pictures, who obviously yeah. produced the film, uh, read Crowe's 172-page script over the weekend and called Crowe on Monday saying, direct every word. Crowe said he filmed almost all of the script himself. Yeah. So, I mean, when Steven Spielberg phones you up after yeah. reading over a weekend and says, every word of this needs to be filmed, you you, you go ahead. Especially when it's his company making it. Yeah. You do you do what the man says. <laughs> to be fair, if Steven, Steven Spielberg phoned me up and was like, drink the bleach, I think I, <laughs> I think I find it hard to argue against him, to be fair. <laughs> okay, Mr. E.T. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Mr. Spielberg, anything you say, oh. <laughs> And this is how cults are started. (laughs) The legal disclaimer at the end of the film, which for most films obviously just states that all the characters and events are fictional uh, with any real life similarities being coincidence. This disclaimer notes that the character of Penny Lane was loosely based on a real individual. Cameron Crowe has stated that Penny Lane is based on his real life friend, Penny Trumbull, who goes by the name Penny Lane. She lives in Portland, Oregon, and is involved in the music industry. Okay. Uh, 
As a side note to this, Kate Hudson considers the experience of making this film as one of the greatest times of her life. Yeah, I can imagine so. She's yeah. in like every scene. She's yep. pivotal to the film. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is basically almost famous, the story of Penny Lane. Yeah. Um, Peter Frampton taught Billy Crudup how to play the guitar in preparation for the concert scenes. Uh, okay. I mean, again, that's a pretty big name to be teaching you. This yeah. is the G chord. This is the A chord. <laughs> Um, and we have a metric fuck ton of alternative casting choices. So really, let's brace go. yourself. Alternative cast? No, no, we're not Shut doing up. that. No, we're not doing that. Now, Russell Hammond. I have two names for this. Okay. Brad Pitt. <laughs> Never. He, yeah, he dropped out after both he and Crow decided the part was, and I quote, "not a good fit." Which yeah, was I'm the a right big choice. Fan. I'm a big fan of Brad Pitt. I think he's... Yeah, I've got a lot of time for Mr. Pitt. Yeah, I think he's he's good at playing lots of different kinds of characters, but I think just being able... Just his face on that character would pull yeah, me out of the film. No. Yeah. Um, I like, one of the reasons I like him is he did a, a fashion photo shoot wearing a flight suit, which, you know, I'm, I'm all on board for. Um the other name, the other big name in the running for the Russell Hammond part was Christian Bale. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. I can't see that working at all. Fedor! Dog! <laughs> hey, the enemy. <laughs> it just uh, wouldn't work. Penny! <laughs> suck it! Um, I have one alternative name for William Miller. Okay. Which uh, Elijah Wood went for a screen test. I can I can see it if you're going. Yeah, I can see it. Young Elijah Wood. Yeah, definitely. He's got enough of that geeky muso about him. Mm. And he even today he still dresses a bit like. William he still Miller. dresses like yeah. William Miller. Yeah, so I he can, wouldn't be able to provide his own wardrobe. I can see it, but again. That face on that character would have pulled you out of yeah. what was going on. Yeah. yeah. Um. Now here's the big one. Okay. Penny Lane. Yes. Sarah Polly dropped out due to dropped out to work on her own film, The Law of Enclosures. I've never heard of her. No, me neither. But she was basically going to do the role until she decided she was going to go and work on this independent, uh, low budget Canadian film that she was basically making. I'm sure she doesn't regret that. Yeah. Uh, Uma Thurman. Well, we are coming <laughs> We are coming off the back of the 90s and Pulp Fiction. So she was yeah, probably but... a quite... Her star was probably quite high. But again, I can't... She's probably no, a bit I don't, old. It wouldn't... Yeah, she, she's... No. That, I think that would have been bad. She turned down the role, fortunately. Okay. Other auditionees include Kirsten Dunst and Christina no, Ricci. no. They both apparently came very, very close to it. I could see, I could see Kirsten Dunst doing it. Um, they both nearly got it. Apparently, it was very close. Yeah. Um, these guys, I don't know how close they came to getting it, but they were all considered for the role at some point. Okay. Claire Danes, Brittany Murphy, Mina Savari, Anne Hesh, Neve Campbell, Jenna Elfman, Bridget Moynihan, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Rose McGowan, Chloe Sevigny. Laura Flynn Boyle, Anna Frail, Alison Hannigan, Angie Harmon, Catherine Heigl, 
Kimberly McCulloch, Natalie Portman, Lindsay Price, Marley Shelton, Rebecca Romijin, and Lark Voorhees. So basically every female actress every in Hollywood at the time. Yeah, basically now, they, they, they were considering them I, for the role. I would have, <laughs> I would have been so happy <laughs> for either Mina Savari or Brittany Murphy to have played the roles. I think both of them could have been really good. But are you telling me <laughs> I nearly got Alison Hannigan as Penny Lane. There's an alternative timeline somewhere where Alison <laughs> Hannigan, my all-time life crush, plays <laughs> Penny Lane and this Fra- film becomes my Bible. Francis, Francis around for half the film in, in lace blouses with no bra. And does a topless scene. Oh. It does, it's just like wow okay yeah there's there's some big names in there and uh yeah like you said almost every attractive young lady in hollywood hollywood at the time yeah. was either approached or you know, considered for this role <laughs> uh, i need to go to your, the alternative timeline where Alison hannigan plays penny lane that has blown my mind i never knew she was in consideration or anything but yeah that would have been that would have been perfect um Cameron Crowe <laughs> later admitted that Patrick Fugit was the worst singer in the Tiny Dancer sequence. And this is direct from um, IMDb. His warblings were turned down in post-production so as not to distract from what is a very special movie moment. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my guitar every time we play live. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking that it sounded more like a certain bass player we had. but Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who uh yeah actually was turned off for several gigs on purpose um, um who does patrick fugit play again um william miller oh okay so he was there oh, okay yeah. he was he was apparently absolutely dreadful so it does make me wonder if in that scene uh kate hudson turns around and smiles obviously yeah him. yeah, yeah. Um, and i'm wondering if perhaps she turned around and was like oh my god yeah was smiling because his singing was so bad and they just captured it and used it to mean something else. (laughs) Uh, Um, There's also another uh, influence uh, for Penny Lane. Uh, She, the character, uh, as well as being inspired by Penny Turnbull, was inspired by the real life Penny Ann. Oh, no, wait, what? I've got my notes confused here. Um, Apparently, Penny... Trumbull, Turnbull, I've spelt yes, it wrong. I spelt it different both times. It's not me fucking shit up. No, it's me fucking it up this time. Uh, the real life Penny Trumbull had a group of female promoters who called okay. themselves the Flying Garter Girls group. Oh, so they were basically the Band-Aids. They did something similar to yeah. the, the Band-Aids. Um, less groupy type behavior and more actually just, you know, hyping and promoting the band. Yeah, like, uh, a, like a modern day street team. Yes, if, if yeah, people exactly. even have, I don't think people have street teams anymore, is it? They have like moderators on fan groups, but fan groups and, and yeah. their Twitch streams, yeah. Um, and alas, no body count, no, like there was nearly one with Penny Lane, yeah, there was nearly all the people on the plane, but no, no body <laughs> no, count. No actual, I did, I did even check, um, to make sure, and no, that there, there aren't, there's not even anyone dies in the background off scene or anything, so is there like a is there a website that will tell you how many brain cells were killed by all the drugs <laughs> taken by the characters? In Listen, William's mother, um, yeah. you're freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> so here endeth the trivia for today's episode. 
Um, does that mean I can go pee now? Yes, this means you can go pee now. When I just got up off my bed, I felt like Sophie when she first got turned into an old woman. <laughs> you are an old man, though. So I am, yeah. That makes no sense. Uh, right, so uh, my first note, William's handwriting during the credits puts my own chicken scratchings to shame. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you I'm said earlier too. about your handwriting, yeah. and I was just thinking, oh, yeah, I've got a note about that. I'm looking down at my at my notebook, and I'm like, Sometimes I have really good handwriting, but clearly not when I'm trying to scribble stuff down while I'm watching a film. Um, my first note is long, but interesting credits. Yeah. Yeah. Normally I'm, I'm really not a big fan of credits, as no. people listen, especially to our earlier episodes will have yeah. gathered. But I yeah, quite no. like, I quite like the, the way that he would write the names. Yeah. And I love it because it gives you enough time to actually see what their name is. A lot yeah. of the time they just flash them up, but <laughs> the fact he has to actually sit and write it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's quite good. It also, my next note is a throwaway note, but it was basically <laughs> Zoe Deschanel and Jason Lee. I completely forgot they were in this film. I, I have an even shorter note about Zoe Deschanel. It's just, she is so cute. She oh, is yeah. She is adorable. She is absolutely 100% adorable. Um. Right, I've got got one that you might not like, but I'm going to say it anyway. Oh. Is the shower pube scene one of your sexual humiliation fantasies? <laughs> See, now, you, the, the, the cut that is on Sky is the, the, the boot cut. It's probably worth mentioning now, that, guys. Yeah, okay. um, We obviously, we were looking for the theatrical cut of this film, which is obviously the one we saw back in the day, the one I've got lurking somewhere on DVD. The version that seems to be everywhere online at the moment is actually the boot cut, which is effectively the director's cut. It's like two hours, 42 minutes long and includes a bunch of additional scenes. I tried to filter out the additional scenes in my notes. That was definitely one of the additional scenes from the boot cut edition because that wasn't in the theatrical release. (laughs) It's been been like maybe, what, 15 years since I've seen this film and I didn't remember that scene. I thought that scene would have been etched into my mind but i didn't realize well to be fair i didn't realize there was more than one version of this film until you told me before we started recording (laughs) yeah i only realized it when uh when i looked at it and i was like what i don't remember it being this bloody long and then i actually looked it up and i was like oh i see okay so yeah i I just had this vision of like every night before you go to bed you stand in front of the bed and amy just points and laughs at your lack of pubes I mean, she does point and laugh, but it's usually yeah. because it's like, you know, it's 2 a.m. You've got to get up in five hours. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not sexual. It's just degrading. <laughs> but my virtual friends are so much better than real life. They are better than real life because in real life, I just go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, the rebellious rock music his mum is rallying against is <laughs> incredibly tame by today's standards, right? No Simon and Garfunkel for you. It's yeah. like the most inoffensive band of the period and she's like no look they're all parked it's like come yeah. on really that bridge over troubled water is that really going to corrupt your your teenage daughter i don't think so it's just as as she's rallying against like <laughs> rock and roll they just keep playing like all these like acoustic folk songs and exactly. all i could and all i could think about was marilyn manson <laughs> the whole time I was just like, you wait like 20 years. <laughs> Marilyn Madsen's going to blow your mind, woman. 20, 20 years after this film was made, you know, in, in universe, she heard Marilyn Manson for the first time and literally just her head exploded. 
I've got a <laughs> note. Awful. I've got a note. I wrote uh, the scene where he, where William first meets him. Mm. I'm kind of not a hundred percent going to stand by it because as the film progresses, this character becomes something other than what I'm about to proclaim him. <laughs> In them early scenes, Lester Bangs is a fucking douchebag. Yes, he is. <laughs> I like mean, it, it was doing I, the rounds in the seventies. <laughs> I saw, I saw it more as like his public persona yeah. was that of a douchebag. But once he kind of breaks the wall and lets William in a little bit, he opens up and he, he actually becomes very much like a a guardian, like a, and a guide, and a yeah. mentor. And you really see that there's a lot more to Lester than what the majority of the world would see. And I think on that note, like. That could be said about so many people in the real oh, world. Yeah. So many people are a different person when the cameras are turned off or when the mics are turned off. It's probably Remember, worth mentioning, guys, he's not talking about us because we are this bad in person. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we feel we, we record these with only the two of us, because this is exactly what we're like in person, just with yeah. less, you know, fourth wall breaking interludes like this. <laughs> um, I have a note here which um Nicely captures my feelings towards you as a co-host. Oh, God, here we go. You are rebellious and ungrateful of my love. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as she said that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's read to you all over. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I can't even argue that. That's so <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a quote here. That, yeah, I've got lots that, of quotes in yeah, my notes. Me too. <laughs> I've got a quote that kind of sums up touching for me. Oh, my. It's not about money and popularity. Although some money would be nice. Yeah. I, I have one here, but if Lester Bangs is to be believed, rock journalism is a lot like podcasting. They yeah. can't make friends with the bands and we can't make friends with anyone. Though it may be for different reasons. Yeah. In, in retrospect. Uh, where uh, William's sister says, uh, play Tommy with a candle burning. Yeah. Tommy is one hell of an album. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's never shown me my future, even when I've had a candle burning while listening to it. Because I have tried that since watching this film. I was going like, to say, I'll bet that was one of the first things you did, weren't it? Was I did try that fairly soon after watching this film. I was Rage like, your right. cupboard for a candle. Yeah, tea light, tea light came out. Tommy went in the CD player and I listened to it. And I, I did not... used a tea light and not a real candle. Maybe. Maybe yeah. that's why it didn't give me a glimpse that I'd be sat here talking to you about this film. 20 years later. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's insane. Fucking hell. Sorry, I've just realised that I'm talking about something that I did 20 years ago. Yeah. God, I feel Weird, old sometimes. It? Yeah, you and me both. Um, <laughs> now, I don't really know how to approach this subject because it's purveyant in the entire film. I already and it, know what you're going to raise. <laughs> and it's something that just bewilders me but if penny lane is 16 and she is a legend how young was she when she started inspiring she's, rock stars she's lying through her eye teeth when oh, she, she when she when she says about being 16 it's just to get william to confess to how old he actually is because yeah. she's got to be she's at least in her 20s no she's i think 18 you reckon 18 yeah uh, but... I, I would say she's got to be 19 20 I don't know, based on the, matu- the maturity levels and 
Yeah, I'd say she's got to be like what. I mean, you can't 18? judge anyone's age by their maturity levels because no. this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Moving on. Um, where's what? Uh, Lester's forecast that rock and roll would become an industry of cool was yes. uh, way too on the money. I mean, and yeah. obviously this was Cameron Crowe talking, um, yeah. but he was that... spot on. Think of the music in in two thousand. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why we didn't get famous. Oh yeah, because we weren't cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nothing about, nothing to do with the lack of talent. No, it's because we, we weren't cool. We weren't cool enough, so they couldn't sell us. I don't know if I've caught it as a note, but there's a bit in it where someone says something like, oh, "What do they say?" I've studied rock history. I think Jason Lee's character, Jeff, says it. I've yeah, studied yeah. rock history. And you know what I found? The best stuff is the popular stuff. Anybody that tells you that the popular stuff is shit are just people trying to justify why they're not popular. Why they're shit, yeah. And it stopped me for a second. I started thinking about it, and I was like, I do say the cream rises to the top. But they also say shit floats. So it's not black and white. Right. When the lights go down... (laughs) No, I was going to say, like, because obviously, like, <laughs> pop music, you've got to take it out of the equation because it's all it's all contrived and it's all built by the machine. But yeah. for the most part, when it comes to, like, stuff that comes from the underground, mostly, I'm not, I'm going to say 85% of the time, it is the best stuff that makes yeah. it to the top. Um, when the lights go down before Stillwater come on, the first time I suddenly got nostalgic to being young and excited at gigs in the days before it was just a sea of mobile phones. <laughs> Cause you see from the stage and you look out and the lights go down, the crowd goes mad and all the only thought that filled my head was, wow. I remember when, when me and Rooney would be down the front of the gigs in the pit doing all that crazy stuff. And then I thought, <laughs> and now the lights go down and there's just a sea of mobile phones. That's fine. We won't be contributing to that anymore because we've got a GoPro, so I'll just mount it on my little <laughs> chopper harness and it, it does the work for me. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, if you had that in some of them pits, like some of them Cooper Temple Claws pits we were Jesus. in? Jesus. And... It wouldn't have survived. It would be no. smashed to pieces on the floor. But if if you could have seen the video up until the point it got smashed, it would have been chaos. It would have been pretty cool, actually. Um, I, I, I apparently quoted Lester Bangs an awful lot here. Yeah. <laughs> he, he pretty much uh, sums up our motto when he tells william to be honest and unmerciful (laughs) yeah (laughs) because uh for all the shit we say we are honest and we are pretty unmerciful in this podcast which is why we cover stuff we like exactly so we can be honest about how we love it you say about that scene where the, the, the first time they go on stage i love that they have the name of the city taped across the top of the monitor yeah yeah, and that yeah, yeah. took me back, and I was thinking I would have preferred the names of the other bands playing. <laughs> yeah, because often I didn't bother mentioning the other bands. It used to make me make me feel really bad when the other singers would go, "Yeah, thanks to to Reverb and you know, I don't know Marmalade Men or whatever playing uh, playing tonight. Great set, guys!" And I would the few times I tried to do it, I made a complete hash of their names, and you could always see the other bands in the crowd just scowling when I when they realised that I couldn't even be bothered to remember their names. Yeah. <laughs> so I think back in our gigging days, it would have been more useful for me to have 
their names up there. Maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should have actually, you know, been a bit of a better person. No. <laughs> Never. That's not what people came to Reverb Gigs for. They don't want to see a better person. They want to see shit Arrogance. Rock. Arrogance. Arrogance of grandeur. Shit rock. Mediocre music. Yeah. yeah. Um, why is Penny Lane carrying an official a fishing tackle box around? I wondered that. I, it's odd. I know she's using it as a handbag, but still, a fishing it's, tackle box? Yeah. Well, the 70s really <laughs> I mean, just watch this film. Um, Fever Dog. Fucking yes. love that song. I did my rendition of it earlier. And I did say Amy and I have been just screeching that at each other for like the last three days. Um, and it's, it's actually a good enough song that it has been in rotation on my regular shuffle playlist. Basically, since I saw this film. Oh, really? I really, really like the song. And now that I've got the soundtrack, I'm going to find the other uh, Clearwater songs. It's funny. Uh, not Clearwater, Stillwater. It's funny because after this film came out, I remember searching online, trying to find Stillwater, the song. Yes. And I downloaded something, um, a song called All I Can Remember by Stillwater. And I was like, well, oh, I don't remember that in the film. So I played it. I was like, this doesn't sound anything like them. It turns out it's the actual other the yeah. real Stillwater. I da- inadvertently downloaded one of their songs. It's not a bad song. It's just not great. It's not what I was looking for. Do you think their popularity increased after the release of this film? Like the real Stillwater band. Do yeah. you think there was anybody <laughs> that was like, ah, Stillwater are playing, let's go, and then turn up and then just see? Yeah, I can imagine band. inadvertently they, they earned themselves a few fans by, by people discovering their music looking for the other band. Yeah. 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 All publicity is good publicity. This singer doesn't look like Jason Lee. There's no truth in this art. Ah! <laughs> Vic the Zeppelin fan. Does he remind you of anybody? Stacey? Because No. Because she it's, would it's, make reverb t-shirts. Like I mean... He made Led Zeppelin t-shirts. Less, less behaviour and more just how he looks. Because to me, I can't help but... I cannot not see this. Lil Mike? Yes. Yeah. Soon as it came on screen, I was like, oh my God, that's little Mike. Little Mike Jennings. I didn't know you were in this film. I mean, I wasn't going to give his full name on the podcast, but yeah. I am calling it out. Don't care. It's my podcast. Fuck off. Um, He, um, I can't remember his name, but he's like a famous actor now, right? Yeah. He he does all the Seth Rogen stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but. I know, yeah, and he's like about twelve in this film, or yeah. something. <laughs> as as all of the all of the, the the characters, all the groupies are, they're all like fucking kids, which is weird. Um, um, there are on. many weird moments in this film, but <laughs> the weirdest moment to me is this one: is Darren refilling the wank bank with her little brother in the room? Yeah, that's another scene that wasn't in the theatrical cut, and yeah. That is so bizarre. Where he right, just goes that's... there and sits on the bed and you see him like stroking the duvet cover yeah. and you're like, oh man, like, that's, no. Oh. It's like the things we did in these four walls and the kid's like, that's my sister, leave me. Like, I don't need to hear this. And he's like, I'm just going to hang out here for a while and he just sits there reminiscing, like reefing in the weight bank, like it's all coming back to me. It's all coming back to me. <laughs> I'll be in my bunk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in the... In the extended version, there's this tiny throwaway subplot with William stealing everything. Yeah. At the hotels. And I, I, you see him scoop it in the um, 
first hotel he ends up in. He just yeah. scoops it all and, and runs off and then trips over uh, that guy's bag. And I had to stop yeah. it, rewind it and freeze frame it to see if that was Harold Ramis. It's not, but it really looked like him. Um, and I was like, I don't remember him being in this film, but that's because he wasn't. It was just someone basically cosplaying as him. Um, and there's a really nice scene that 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 little subplot culminates in that yeah. really nice scene outside the hotel in New York when his bag splits. It all comes spilling out and Dick's like, oh, you know, there are other souvenirs, right? It's like, I always thought I was going home the next day. And Dick just leans in and says, me too, 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I like that. It's, a, it's, it's just a, a humanizing subplot for, for Nick, the road manager. It is. And it's also, I love the, the escalation of it. Because the first time you see it, he steals pads and pens. And you're like, oh, he's a music journalist. He wants to, he's just making sure he's got enough stuff to write on. Yeah. Then a bit later on, he steals more like pads and pens. And you're like, oh, yeah. Like, obviously, he's he's writing the the story. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then he dropped his bag. And it's like the the champagne thing. You put the bottle. Yeah. The the ice ice bucket. Ice bucket. Ashtrays. Ashtrays. Everything. everything. And you're like, (laughs) oh, this wasn't. This wasn't about journalism. This was just about... Oh, oh, it's, a, it's also a nice little reference to it. Uh, after the plane scene, when they were yeah. walking through the uh, airport terminal, um, his bag is all gaffer taped up. Yeah. I'd never noticed it before, but obviously now I was aware that that scene has happened because obviously not being in the theatrical cut, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, look, they gaffer taped it up. And that just brought back memories of us gaffer taping oh, everything, everything. Yeah. clothes, Shoes, bags, cases, amplifiers, my fingers, just everything. <laughs> equipment. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, there wasn't ever a time when like you'd you'd get a sore finger playing guitar. So you yeah, just play like spac. So because yeah. and I I when I get carried away on stage, rather than the plectrum hitting the strings, it would be the plectrum and my index finger on my yeah. right hand just above the knuck, uh, just above the nail and I'd scuff it basically down to the bone if I carried on so I used to have to wrap it in gaffer tape to, to stop that happening <laughs> <laughs> never happened when I played acoustic guitar but when I played electric guitar uh, and was singing away. at the same time my hands were, yeah I just played like a remedial person <laughs> um I've got a note E flat no I think I'm going to skip it okay I mean, well, because I wrote, I wrote, up. <laughs> no, I, I skip wrote, notes all the time. <laughs> still, are pretty desperate to talk to anyone, even a fifteen-year-old kid. But that was my take on it as I was watching the film. But then I thought to myself, like, he's not just a fifteen-year-old kid, though, is he? He's a he's a music journalist. A music he, journalist for point, Rolling like, Stone. Yeah, yeah. So it's, Before, um, yeah, it was Creep Magazine, and then it's Rolling Stone, and it's like, yeah, we're tour, we're tour buses literally buses in 1973 from what i have seen yes they were yeah. literally just a bus with a toilet in the back and you yeah. spent like six months living in it because <laughs> i remember seeing the scene where they're on the bus right before they start singing and i'm like and as you go through the bus and i'm like there'll be bunks there'll be bunks there'll be... oh no we're at the back yeah, of the bus uh, it's literally a bus yeah and then i kind of thought Wow, they've changed so much to today where it's like there's a living room, there's bunks. Yeah, there's... They're actually little houses on wheels. But then Jason Lee says towards the end, like, well, when, they, when they're like, no, we're getting a plane. You can do more shows if you have a plane. And he's like, oh, what's he called it? Dolores? Dolores. Yeah, Dolores has been with us since the beginning. And I'm like, oh, so it's not, 
is it a typical tour bus of 1973 or is Probably it just for, for the big bands they'd have had converted buses yeah. that had bunks and stuff but for the small bands like that yeah it's the, the equivalent of a small band in this country kipping in the back of a large transit you know yeah i'd just That's like it. to throw it out here now that um I had far too much fun watching this film and my notes uh, my notes <laughs> went downhill. Yeah, this is another of one of those films that is very enjoyable to watch. Um, this is a maid speaking, by the way. It's how I am ending every phone conversation from now on. Yeah. <laughs> I love that because she gets that whole thing about how great he is and then you just get William's mother's trademark silence on the phone. And she's like, this is a maid speaking, by the way. Hangs up. That's, that's how I'm going to end everything. So then... You know, it's just like, well, you said, no, 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 that was the maid. That definitely wasn't me. I didn't say that that would fix your computer. The maid said that. Uh, I just yeah. told you it would never work. <laughs> no, it wasn't me heavy breathing down the phone and masturbating. It was the maid. They even said, this is a maid speaking, by the way. <laughs> In a male voice. In a male voice. Well, they're, they're um, pre-op transsexual. Don't judge. It's 2021. <laughs> Well, and let's also point out that you don't have to be a woman to be a maid in 2021. Um, well, right. I thought I was being all progressive then and you showed me up. Damn it. One of my absolute favourite scenes in this film, one I do not remember, so it's possible that it's part of the director's cut, mm. is when they go to do the radio interview. <laughs> yes, that was definitely the director's cut. That's with the amazing. Guy, with the guy from Tenacious D. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And on it's that, and on that, I wrote, I wish the night circus was real. Maybe we could do it as a podcast. <laughs> we'll just get bands in, get really high, and yeah. then swear on our podcast, <laughs> and then just say, and then just start like quoting poetry and making weird cosmic suggestions, Pop-up poetry throughout the the episodes, <laughs> and then just fall asleep. <laughs> Yeah, we'd have to record it at like 3 a.m. or something. Yeah, I would. I would if the night circus was real. I would definitely listen to it. I would definitely be a listener yeah. to that. Um, um, the angry promoter after yes. Russell gets electrocuted at the gig. Now, most of the promoters we had to deal with after gigs were bemused rather yeah. than uh, angry. <laughs> Though there was that time at the Marquee in Hartford. I thought this is where this was going. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's the, the most. I mean, there were there was uh, the most bemused was probably the one at the Rhythms of the World Festival after <laughs> when, that was Judge's last gig, and he decided to smash up his bass, and I decided that hitting a solid hardwood bass with a Nuki Brown bottle would damage the bass more than the bottle. Didn't he Obviously, surf on it did. Bass at one point? I've got yes, visions of it surfing on the bass. Yeah, yeah, he threw it on the floor and was then using it as a surfboard around the stage. And I remember the, the the promoter just coming up afterwards, just looking like, what was that, guys? I mean, yeah, that was certainly something. But here you go. There's a dustpan and brush. You need to sweep up the mess you just made on the stage. <laughs> I don't remember that point. I remember that point. At that point, I was grabbing Dale's dad and being like, we need to get out of here. I think we just blew the PA. We, we were the, the PA. We which... were the first band on that day. <laughs> we blew the PA. The, yeah, the that... marquee one, though. That's where that's that's the oh that's one of my overriding memories. I remember there being was, a few sort of uh, there was there was one where was it Clockwork in London. Oh, Clockwork, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember that, and it was this like ultra trendy sort of 
faux industrial sort of club. It was at yeah. the worst stage ever, a little tiny L-shaped stage stuffed in the corner of the room. Um, and it was all... There is. I, I, I don't know where that is. I, haven't I seen remember my dad, my dad filmed it and put it on DVD for us. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I was probably sat in a box in my loft. I had um, long shoulder length black hair. Oh god! Sound. I remember the sound quality of that gig was absolutely awful, and for once yeah. it was our fault. And the promoter yeah. came over, and I remember afterwards he was just like, "Oh, that sounded terrible." Blah blah. blah. What did you do? Blah, blah. And we were like, "I was just like, the fuck are you talking about, mate? This is your your sound engineer is shit. The venue yeah. is shit. The PA system is like a fucking set of PC speakers, basically." I was, "What the fuck do you expect?" It's like, did you even listen to our demo? Um, and we never got, we never played for that promoter again. Uh, we I played... do remember that was like a, a weeknight gig, I think. I remember it being very, very tame. I don't remember getting yeah intoxicated in any That may be the only sober gig I ever did. Yeah, I remember I... going in, we went in, we played. There was there was no preamble or anything. And immediately afterwards, we left. And I think yeah. a large part of that was the fact that the it fucking was promoter weeknight. was just... The promoter was fucking raging because he decided yeah. that the reason everything sounded so awful was us rather than the fact that their setup was shocking. Do you remember Absolutely what the sound shocking. guy at the marquee accused us of having? Uh, no, I don't. Nirvana syndrome. Nirvana, that's it. Nirvana syndrome. Fuck me. I've forgotten about that. I just this... remember. I remember <laughs> we're halfway through the final song. There's about. 12 people if i'm being generous in the crowd yeah <laughs> um as i'm playing i look over i see you start pulling mics out of the drum kit away from the amps and yeah. putting them by the side of the stage and i was like what is he doing are we stealing them are we are we suddenly <laughs> gonna have like a brand oh, yeah. new awesome rehearsal studio and then suddenly i see joshy's bass bass drum fly yeah. across the stage then i see something you fr- like something else go and then suddenly it's just it was just we josh had we discussed it on the way there i don't think you'd actually traveled there with us that time and he decided he wanted to trash his drum kit um right. and i was uh, we decided beforehand that that's what we would do we would disconnect the stuff so that we didn't break the 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 venue's gear or any of that shit um so we yeah during that song, I was going around disconnecting and removing all the mics because it was his kit. We'd made sure it was all his hardware. Um, yeah, and then he basically trashed his kit and we, we leapt about the stage and then the promoter went fucking mental. <laughs> trashed the stage? I think, I, I think that's where I, I killed off my amp forever. I think I threw it on the floor. On the, I got <laughs> carried away. The amp went on the floor. Oh, my God, we were such dickheads. But yeah. the, my, my overall memory of that is us finishing being like we are i am a golden god on stage <laughs> and then the sound man rushing from the sound booth up onto the stage screaming you're all cunts you've got nirvana syndrome rah 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 you're banned you'll never play her again yeah we got banned yeah and i just remember fit, like the next day i woke up and i was just like huh we're banned from the marquee we're oh banned well from the marquee. yeah and then passed, like 18 months later yeah that, <laughs> My overall thought of the whole situation was, I wonder what that sound guy thought when we'd all packed up and gone home and all of his equipment was sitting there pristine by the side yep, of the stage. by the side of the stage because we're not pricks. Yeah. <laughs> we're delusional, Nirvana syndrome-having idiots, but we weren't 
trash somebody else's property. We consider property. it idiots because, yeah, we yeah. didn't want to break out someone. It was primarily because we didn't want to get landed with a bill to replace the entire oh, set, yeah. stage oh, yeah. set up. <laughs> yeah. We were poor struggling musicians. We were poor, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do remember him saying your band and then us being like, we don't want to fucking play your shit venue play anyway. anyway. <laughs> Only went to um, one more gig there after that. And yeah, then they went bust anyway. <laughs> I think I went I went to see The World on Fire there after that and that was it. Um, I think I went to see Anna Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> which means oh. I probably went as well. Yeah, I remember I, going I, there. I did love a good Anna Chaos gig back in the day. They were... They were fun as hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably there's a lot of good quotables from this film. Yes. You could you could write like an encyclopedia on quotes from this Just film. Quotes from this film. But my favourite is probably most people can't wait to talk, but you just listen. Mm. Going back to what we were saying last week, he's like, "You are dangerous." I think yeah. Russell Hammond says Russell. it. Uh, to William, he's like, You're dangerous. I can't, I haven't got the whole quote, but he says something like, You are dangerous. Most people can't wait to talk, but you just listen. You just listen, yeah. yeah that. Is that, um, oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry, my next note <laughs> goes, goes back two minutes. The fight between the manager and the promoter is epic. <laughs> and when he chases the fucking, when he's got yeah. And then he chases the tour bus up the tunnel on the little electric cart, screaming that at them. That was the rest of it. That was the rest of it. The fight between the manager and promoter is epic, but I actually lulled when yeah. the promoter chased the bus out of the arena on his little cart. Yeah, yelling abuse. Yeah. That was there, all, that... there were several moments in this film that actually had me laughing out loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, the reason I started driving was so that I could drive the band around just so that I could avoid getting left behind like Jeff does. Because <laughs> I could well see that happening with some of, with uh, certain people that drove the band around before, just like buggering off and leaving me stranded somewhere because, you know, they've forgotten about me. Because <laughs> oh, they just had enough of you. <laughs> just had enough of me, more likely, yeah. Um, when William asked the drummer what he loves about music and he can't answer, all <laughs> I could think about you, all I could think about was you in your first in- interview for Touching. Rooney, what do you love about podcasts? Um, 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 exactly. I don't I like should... podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the uh, the conversation, well, the argument after the t-shirts. Oh, when, well, hang on, uh, hang on. I just want to go back to that scene with the drama quickly. Okay. I feel so sorry for him. Not him, but the actor. Because I don't know if you understand the rules of filmmaking, but you only get residual checks if you <laughs> have a line of dialogue. If you don't have dialogue, <laughs> he doesn't. Do, I don't think he gets any. He's in the whole film. I don't think he, he says does. a word. On the, does he? In, on the plane. Oh what fuck it! Say? I'm gay. Ah, oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah. all right. That's his. Um, that's his one line of dialogue. That is literally the only line of dialogue he has in the film. Okay, so he does get a residual. Oh, that's few. Yeah. I, I felt really bad <laughs> being in this whole film and never getting a residual check afterwards. He no, does, yeah. Um, um, the, the scene where they have the t-shirts. Do you and... know what? Hang, hang on, sorry. Oh, yeah. My next note is about the t-shirt. <laughs> For the first time in forty-eight episodes, actually correlate our notes together. Synchronized. 
Oh yeah. my god, guys, might listen on the calendar. This is like the yeah. this is like a solar eclipse, the, the aligning of the planets. Our notes have reached the same point in the film at the same time. <laughs> the truth is out there. <laughs> but it's not in our notes. No. Um, when when they're, they're having the argument, obviously, yeah. about, about Russell and, and Jeff, um, and he describes, you know, I'm I'm the front man, you're the guitarist with Mystique. Yeah. Is that what you were going for back in the day? Were you the well, guitarist with Mystique? <laughs> my note was basically, like, the Stillwater t-shirt is a visual representation of touching. <laughs> Only I actually want to be the out-of-focus guy. You do want to be the out-of-focus guy. <laughs> but... Back then, I always kind of saw it like I was like, well, I write half the songs. But for most of this time of this band, I'm the leader. So surely if we ever get any kind of like fame or anything, it'll be me and, me and Rooney. We'll both be up there together. And I think at that point in my life, like I wanted that infamy. I wanted that validation. <laughs> <laughs> Go forward like 20 years and I'm like, no, no, no. You be in the spotlight. I'll just sit back here and have ideas. <laughs> I don't want anybody knowing what I look like. I can't. Right. Fame is... All so you've just fame. given me a new merchandising idea. Yeah, you can just... forward to that this week. <laughs> Had a bright idea. So, uh, yep, that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, like, literally, I couldn't think of anything worse than being famous right now. Not, like, just the idea of leaving my house and people knowing <laughs> who I am is just... It's terrifying but yeah back then i was back then I, you was all right yeah i was going for the guitarist with mistake yeah definitely. okay that's that's good to know i now know yeah. i know where you're coming from i also love the fact that um after they go off and he goes russell the others all storm out and russell goes off william goes back and steals the shirt yeah it's like he is the embodiment of every fan in that situation oh yeah we, I totally would have done that. I I love his character, and that scene is perfect. <laughs> I love his character. I think if I'd seen this film as like a fifteen-year-old, it would have been my bible. That got, would have been yeah. everything to me. I would have been like, I want to be William. But you know that that like the managers, it's like, oh no, these t-shirts will never see the light of day. And he's like, I have the one. I have the one. This is unique. The yeah. rest of them are gonna get dumped, and that's it. But yeah, he's gonna have uh, that that one, one of t-shirt. the kind t-shirt. Um, Talking about something else. t-shirts, there's another scene at, towards the end. I thought you were about to pimp out our merchandise. No, I'll do that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's another scene towards the end where they're discussing um, the interview. Yeah. Uh, and the, the article that, that William's written is an extended scene. Because initially it was it's only like fucking thirty seconds long or something. In this this cut of it, it's much longer. It's it's a good few minutes um, where they actually point out to the drummer where Russell looks over and says, "You had the yeah. right idea, man, all along." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the t-shirt that uh, what's his name, Jason Lee is wearing. Oh, Jeff. Yeah, it's a Jeff says Eby Jeff Beebe, <laughs> but it's got a picture of Russell uh, thingy. How oh, is it? Oh, I <laughs> didn't know. I thought it was actually a picture there. of him. No, I didn't know that. It's it's Russell. It's a picture of Russell with Jeff Beebe underneath. Oh, that's great! <laughs> Which is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> if we go back to the t-shirt scene, no. Yes. There's a certain point that reminded me of you. <laughs> oh God! You know what I do? I connect. <laughs> I get people off. I look for the one guy that's not getting off, and I get and him I off. Make him get off. <laughs> 
Is that how you sold your chatterbait channel to Amy? <laughs> That's how I sell this podcast. I'm like, I find the one listener who's not getting off. And I make them get off. In that moment, he is every singer in every band there has ever been, right? He, oh, these characters are perfect distillations of their requisite stereotypes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the singer. The Liam Noel. The, yeah. The, the, the singer that uh, wants Keith. to be the centre of attention for yeah. everyone and everything. The guitarist who's inadvertently or otherwise stealing that limelight and the contentious thing between the two. The bassist who's just like, oh, man, I play bass, man. Yeah, yeah bass. And the drummer so, who's the non-entity. If you weren't there? Uh, uh, there'd be no bass. There'd be no bass. <laughs> I love that scene. He's just like he's asking him all these like lofty existential questions yeah. about about dynamic, about how you will come together to create this unique sound. And he's just like both. I play like, both. His, his contribution to the argument about the t-shirts is like, I don't know, man. I'm just hungry. Can we just go get some chicken? <laughs> That's my next note. He's like, I love the bass player. He's just like, can we skip this and get some barbecue? Just go get yeah. some. I said, can we go get some barbecue? <laughs> It's That's the best the way to resolve every argument. It's the difference between me back then and me now. Me back then, I would have been <laughs> in the centre of the argument. Yep. Like, no, I write half the songs. I am a golden god. <laughs> now, I just sit there and I'm like, yeah, you do what you want. Can we go get some uh, barbecue? Go get some, go get some barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> there's the scene where where Russell and William go to the house party. Yes. <laughs> There's the scene in the bedroom where they confront the kid whose house is having a party. Real. And, <laughs> yeah. And Russell goes on this massive speech. And my second favourite line of the film is what, <laughs> is what the kid says to him. Uh, Want to see me feed a mouse to my snake? <laughs> my, yes. my note on that scene is... Everyone wants to see you feed a mouse to your snake. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like he goes on this massive speech and he's talking about all these lofty things, and then yeah. all the kid can say is, uh, "You want to see me feed a mouse to my snake?" <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Oh my god. Um, oh, I also love the bit where he's on top of like the garage or whatever it is. Yeah. And he's like. I'm on drugs and he's like you might want to get some better last words than that and he's like okay, okay let me okay, think yeah. and he's like I love music and everyone's just like oh, yeah, yeah okay and I'm on I drug drugs <laughs> but the best bit of that whole scene is when he thinks he's got them in the palm of his hand he's like I'm going to climb down now I'm just going to go about my business yeah. and everyone's like jump Jump, 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 jump. And it's like <laughs> that moment where he's like, Oh, I could do what I really want to do, which is, you know, climb down and have like be safe, but I could be legendary if I legendary. jump. I want to be legendary. And he just jumped. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene. I am a golden god. Um, you go. Uh, uh, confession time for me. Okay. Um, I had never heard Tiny Dancer. Before I saw this film. Really? Yes. I mean, well, 
I'm assuming I must have heard it because my dad oh, was a huge it. Elton John fan. On the and radio or just somewhere. Yeah, it got Elton John albums got played a lot in my childhood, especially on car journeys. So I'm assuming I must have heard it in my childhood at some point, but I don't remember hearing it until I saw this film. And it's now probably in my top 10 favorite songs of all time. I can't stand Elton John. What the fuck is wrong with you? Why am I even friends with you? Because no one else likes you. Damn you! Fuck off! What I've noticed lately, though, is I heard someone say this a couple of months ago. Like you may have said it, I don't know, or it was in a film or something. But music memory is stronger than normal memory. Mm. And I've I noticed it in the past few weeks at work when I'm not working my way through old episodes of TSD on the (laughs) Patreon with my headphones in, laughing to myself as I do. Um, I get forced to listen to like Magic Radio. Yeah, God, Suicide FM. Yeah, but it is incredible. I know at least a verse or a chorus <laughs> from every single song. The song starts, and I'm like, huh, kind of, I kind of. And then they'll start singing, and, then, and I'm singing along. And yeah. I'm like, I don't, I have no memory of ever listening to this song. How do I know the words? I've worked in so many places over the years that, that used to. They would put the on the most generic radio stations ever, yeah. like ten seventeen and Heart oh, FM exactly. and Magic, and they all had basically the it's same playlist songs that they play in a different order every day. Yeah. Yep. And those things, they just they just drilled into your head. A uh, fucking Madonna, Ray of Light. Oh yeah. I fucking I hate that song. That was. A I know almost every fucking word of it, that but I hate ten, that song. That was a ten seventeen classic. That was. Yep. I loved that when I first came out. I was just like, yeah, it's really bizarre because you'll hear a song that you haven't heard in 20-odd freaky... Yesterday, I saw something. I was browsing Facebook on my phone and it was like uh, the... What is it? The the song that was number one on your 10th birthday explains how your 2021 is going to go. So I was like, oh, I'll look it up. And it was... Oh, God. So by KSW back in 1992. Uh, and I was like, oh, I don't remember... Is that the song I think it is? So I was like, got me Alexa. I was like, right, play KSW, whatever this song was. And within the first two seconds, I knew the entire song. Because even though it really wasn't the song that I listened to, and it was just like, nope, no, I know this song. And Amy did the same thing. She was like, oh, yeah, I know this song. And I was like, yeah, I haven't listened, I haven't heard this song in 30 years or something. Well, that no, must be less than that. 28 years. Yet... Here it is. I've heard two seconds of the intro and I, the entire song is there in my head, ready to go. <laughs> I recognise the name KRS-One. I couldn't tell you. K- KSW something something. and uh, Yeah, just the name of it sounded familiar. Yeah. But then I looked up uh, the number. I had like the list of number ones for 1992. Um, Ebenezer Good by The Shaman. Oh, Ebenezer Good. He's a good, 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 on your 10th birthday was... That is how your 2021 is going to go. 
Well, I just looked mine up. And mine's Black or White by Michael Jackson. <laughs> so something going to be, please don't go. That was the song. KWS. Oh. Go. Please don't go. Please don't go. Please don't go. See? See? Yeah. The title. And it's there in your head. As soon as you said the title. I haven't heard that song until yesterday. I hadn't heard that song in decades. But just the title and it was there. Please don't go. It's like if I could remember regular stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Genius. (laughs) So my 2021 is going to be black or white or black and white. There you go. Interesting. There are many ways I could <laughs> overanalyze that. Um, <laughs> here's another quote, because apparently we're doing this quote in this film today. Yep. Don't worry. He only means half of what he says. Is that what you say yeah. about me? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then the people I'm saying it to say, what half? <laughs> that is the mystery of Reggie. That's never his... quite know. The co-host with Mystique. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, see, it works. You're like the in focus star of the pod. I'm the out of focus co host with Mr. The out of focus guy. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's oh, all brilliant. I want. All um, I want is to pay my bills by being out of focus. Here um, we have, here's a slightly contentious line, which, is, okay. which leads to what I now know, looking back, having been, you know, really focused on the age thing, is a very contentious scene. Let's deflower the kid. Yes. What the fuck? He's 15. <laughs> you girls are at least a, a couple of years older than him. That's statutory rape right there. <laughs> I'm all right. If we oh, could God. ask. Hang on a minute. He's about to say something contentious, everybody. If we asked a thousand men <laughs> if they would have liked to have lost their virginity to free women at the same time, at age 15. In particular, those three women. How many do you think would say no? Oh, yeah, I know. Obviously. But it's still illegal. It's still statutory rape. <laughs> thing is, it's illegal in this country, but isn't the age higher in America? Isn't it 18 in America? Well, the age of consent. I think it's 18. It might be, yeah. Because I think they look down their nose. They're like, you're having sex at 16 legally in your country. Jesus. <laughs> and you get drunk at 18 in your country. Jesus, how are Jesus. you a superpower? <laughs> how do any of you go to uni? Aren't you all just fucking and drinking? Uh, <laughs> yep. Americans never going to uni. Jesus. Um, the yeah, that's a that... safer place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is pretty content. Like, it is pretty bad. It's a. Yeah, I mean it's it's a great scene and and William. Um, <laughs> now I'm thinking, got... did Cameron Crowe put it in because he actually lost his virginity to free groupies? I, I'm assuming. At age 15. Oh, I'm assuming uh, that it's it, the implication is that he lost his virginity whilst on one of these trips with a band to some groupies. You're overlooking the fact that he lost his virginity in a foursome. <laughs> I mean, that might just be hyperbole because, you know, if I was going to tell... 99.9% of men in this world will never, ever, ever have the opportunity to have a foursome. This is true. With three women. With three other women, yeah. Yeah. 
is possible. He loses his virginity. To be honest, I wouldn't like to lose my virginity in that situation. I would to like be honest. a follow-up to be in that situation. <laughs> it would have been it would have been over before my jeans ever got taken off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's what I'm talking 15, about. Three women giving me attention at 15, it would have been over when they when they took my top off. <laughs> to Just quote saying. the to quote the lonely island, I come in my pants. And that would have been it. Everyone's been, oh, this has never happened before. Like, literally, I've never done this before. But <laughs> it's only because you're all so hot, honest. Honest, it's your fault being so attractive. Don't look at me. And then you go and cry in the bathroom where Penny Lane's having a piss. Actually, no, yeah. she comes out, doesn't she, after that? <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I actually have a, a note on. Actually, almost... thinking about it, do you think Cameron Crowe put it in as a brag? Do you think he put that scene in the film I mean, as to be like... semi-autobiographical, so it's like, yep. Got it, men all over the world. <laughs> this is how I lost my virginity in a foursome. In a foursome with three groupies in a hotel room whilst following a band around the country as a as a rock journalist. Yeah, it's not going to lie, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> At this point, I'd just like to say, fuck you, Cameron Crowe. Fuck you, Mr. Crowe. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. you, fuck you, are right both, you are both a golden god. And a dickhead in my eyes. <laughs> Jealousy is a te- green is not your colour, man. I know. I know. <laughs> um, the new record company manager is the best salesman. It takes him less than five minutes to convince <laughs> the band to sell their souls. Yeah. Also, that's Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, I know. I had uh, what? I mean, his role in in the, this I... version of the film is much bigger. He gets much yeah. more screen time. But yeah. I had he walked on screen and I was like, oh, my God, I know you. You're Jimmy Fallon. You do that TV show. I had I no s- memory of him being in it. I no, mean, either. I, but I saw his name in the opening credits and I was like, huh, Jimmy Fallon's yeah. in this. And then the whole <laughs> every time the manager come on, the, the new record company manager came yeah. on screen. I was like, I recognize you. Who are you? I reckon. And then at the end credits, I was like, ah, two uh, and two. Yeah, two. there you go. Um, Williams scene after the uh, William Miller, Ben Fong Torres, Rolling Stone magazine, <laughs> yeah. greasy, um, which was the quote, one of the most quoted lines uh, in my late teens, early twenties, because everything was Ben Fong Torres, crazy. Um, <laughs> a little bit of ASMR for you there. Uh, I'm all about the impressions today, apparently. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> just i love that line and when he did it yesterday well i watched that scene yesterday and i was just saying giggling to myself remembering doing it everywhere um when uh, after he has obviously the phone call and he's like you know, ben fong torres rolling star magazine is all like get it together man you know oh yeah uh, and then he goes out and tries to get the interview with russell when he's carrying the laundry and that um we've we've all been there where you've taken on too much thinking you could manage, and you suddenly realise you're in over your head with no way out. Admittedly, we don't all have this realisation and then have a breakdown in a hotel corridor. But no. still, I think we, we've we all been in a, in a situation like that where we suddenly realise we're fucked. We've got to do something. There's no way for us to do what we need to do. And it's just all too much. Literally most weeks, about 20 minutes before we start recording the podcast. <laughs> No, I think the most <laughs> universal part of that scene is the bit where he just loses his temper, throws the laundry on the floor and starts feverishly, feeble, 
people <laughs> kicking at it. Yeah, when well, he just like it's like, uh, please fuck off. Uh, and he just turns around to it and just like it's the silent finger, just yeah. so angry at the door. And then he starts trying to take it out on the laundry, the laundry in the most feeble flat. way possible. And then just gives up and sits down. Slumps Everybody's down. had that moment. Yeah. Everybody's had that moment where they're like, "Oh, what's something soft I can hit?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Interesting fact: a fax machine was known as a mojo. And it only took 18 <laughs> minutes to send a page. 18 minutes a page. I mean, Talk Talk Broadband clearly took that on board and decided <laughs> that was that was going to be their uh, the bar they were going to set. Standard, yeah, that was that was their new internet standard. 18 minutes per page of text. Yeah, it's about right. Does that <laughs> not remind you of like dial-up broadband? Yes. It reminds me of like the first time I ever found somewhere on the internet that I could see a picture of a naked woman. <laughs> sitting there literally for 20 minutes watching it slowly, block Slow, by block. Yeah, pixel by pixel be rendered on your screen. <laughs> Hoping that no one walked in the dining room where the computer was yeah. at the time. Yeah. Because no one, obviously browsers back then didn't have tabs. So oh, no. you had a browser per web page you were on. Yeah. And most computers back then could only handle like bloody two browser windows and then they just freeze Crash. and they always froze with the porn on the screen and you're like ah, 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 just mashing the keys trying to get it to turn off oh and, jesus we really needed girlfriends back then didn't we a person of substance oh after the uh, <laughs> where russell and william's mother had that phone yeah. call and and she says a person of substance maybe we should get some persons of substance on this podcast you could, have, you, you could have boring conversations with them about substantial topics that i can then edit out <laughs> soon as she said that i was like person of substance podcast of substance <gasps> she she was giving the speech and i was like i feel so much like you I feel <laughs> trying to sell this you new feel validated. Idea. Yeah, I'm trying to sell this the idea of like we could be a podcast of substance to a complete fucking depraved pervert who only <laughs> wants to make sex jokes. I know I, I feel you. I feel you. I don't you. only make sex jokes. I'm also disparaging about gammons, religion and well, basically everyone. Uh, <laughs> You're also a man of many voices, as we're finding out today. Yeah, I mean as we are See? discovering. I, there are other layers to the Rooney onion. I am I am an onion or an ogre. There are layers to me, and you just never give me a chance to shine. And let no, me I have given you a chance to shine. I told you I banned all that low-hanging fruit sex jokes, and now you're having to pull other parts other parts of your personality out so people can see that there's more to you than that. There's, I'm not I am here. Pony. I am the one putting you in focus. I am a golden <laughs> god. Appreciate me. Yeah. Okay, Reg. Um... <laughs> The same where William. Pref- oh, this is could be contentious. Well, you've jumped. You've jumped way ahead of me again. Damn it! Right, we were synchronized. You go. You go. <laughs> we were synchronized. You damn go it. until um, you catch up with the scene I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. I've got. I've got a couple of notes between now and then. Uh, Fifty dollars and a crate of Heineken. Yeah. It's not even good beer. Uh, I don't like Heineken. Really? Penny Lane's worth more than that. She's she's worth a crate of she's Cobra. Cobra, yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> or at least, or at least a few bottles of Blue Moon. I mean, oh, um, that whole scene with uh, William and Penny when they walk off after the birthday cake 
and they go between the buses. Oh, and yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Um, that whole scene is just heartbreaking. Oh, because, yeah. Like, she genuinely thinks that there's something, you know, her and Russell are going to be something, and oh, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's this future there, whether she'll admit it or not. And then William just quite brutally spells it out and says, you know, it was it was fifty dollars and a crate of beer. And you can just see, I mean, Kate Hudson deserves she deserved the Oscar. She got a nomination for this, an Oscar yeah. nomination. Uh, and she I think she deserved it because you can see her heart or Penny's heart break yeah. in that scene. And it's like, oh man, now I feel bad. <laughs> I, I know before we started recording, I said one of the reasons I haven't watched this film for years yeah. is because I just couldn't stand Kate Hudson. Yeah. But upon rewatching it this time, mate, she is so good. She is. Anytime so good. she has to show heartbreak, it just it comes it flies off the screen. Yeah. You're just like She's... I I am filled with empathy for you right now. She is I've... such a an an easy to connect with character in this. I don't think anyone listening to this film has ever been in the situation her character is in, in this, but it's so easy to empathize and connect with her because she is phenomenal in this film. She's really good. She's really good. And I'm going to make the obvious note that she is beautiful in this film. Yeah. She, she makes me weak in my giblets. She's got (laughs) that seventies female rock star, no bra wearing just, yeah. Yeah, she is she is absolutely gorgeous in this film, and she is incredibly good. And I think she should have got the Oscar she was nominated for. Yeah, um, me too. I think my last note. <laughs> there is a scene in this that never fails to make me laugh out loud. This is one of them I was talking about earlier. Okay. When they when they arrive in New York and they're all sat in the back of the limo, and they say, "Yeah, we we took you around the country. We showed oh, you yeah, America," yeah, yeah. and then they say, "Did everything but got you laid." And Williams just nods, uh-huh, yeah. yeah, looks out the window, and then they're just all like, all of them turn Wait. and they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. You Wait. banged. Did we? <laughs> you banged our, our groupies? You banged our groupies? And it's, yeah. it's just an, a, a hilarious scene because he just sits there all quiet and sort of like dignified. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it's like, Wait, what? <laughs> And now I'm at that scene that you were talking about with the Quaaludes. <laughs> okay, this could be slightly contentious. I'm hoping it's not. I'm coming from the angle of like, um, I don't know. I'm just going to say it. Just say it. <laughs> the scene where William professes his love for Penny Lane and kisses mm. her would be considered sexual harassment today, right? It would indeed. Yeah, I did think that looking at it in my 2021 eyes and I'm like, yeah, because he definitely takes advantage of her. But you can you can understand this is the thing, this is the contentious thing, is that yeah. you can understand his motivation, you can understand what's going through his mind in that moment as a fifteen year old boy. Yeah. With a super hot woman. Yeah. Um and you can you can kind of just you understand exactly where he's coming from and it looks harmless. But yeah. it is exactly the thing that women all over the world are like, please stop doing this. Please stop, doing please this. stop taking advantage of us when we've taken too many quaaludes. <laughs> I mean, if he hadn't been there to take advantage of her, he also wouldn't have saved her life like minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> so she would be dead. But, but um, yeah. Does that redeem him? I, I, in that situation, as a 15-year-old kid, even in 2021, would you have done anything differently? No. I'm not sure no, I, would. I, I 
I would not have. I mean, he doesn't. There's not even any tongues. <laughs> no, well, the first thing I would have done was put the quaaludes in my bag. I mean, I think by this point it was an empty, <laughs> empty pot. So. Oh, damn. <laughs> Oh, the first thing I would have done would have crawled around on all fours to see if anyone had dropped a quaalude. Dropped a quaalude. <laughs> because between this film and Wolf of Wall Street, I really want to try a quaalude. Um, but yeah, in that situation, I don't think I would have done anything different. No. I'm not saying it's right. Um, people don't take advantage of women. Of all the heinous jokes we make on this podcast, <laughs> neither one of us believes that you should be doing that. No. But you kind of understand where it's coming kind from. Of- that's that's the thing. You, you is kind it just of brilliant emphasize. filmmaking, or is it just? I don't know, but yeah, that scene hits it's, weird yeah. in twenty twenty one, doesn't it? It does. I, I love that actually from a, from a, a different angle on that whole sequence. I love, and here we go for for you drinking game peeps. I love the juxtaposition of the graduation where William arguably oh, yeah. should have been at that point to where he actually is. Obviously with Penny overdosing in a hotel room and him professing her his love for her and then going on to save her life. Um, the, the, that juxtapose of the, the two together is really, really good because it's kind of like, this is the life he's living. This is the life he thought he would be living. And the yeah. two of them could not be further apart. Yeah. I, yeah, I really, really like that. I like that. that plays I, out. I love the way that you see all these kids celebrating their graduations and it's like... He is like my hundreds, thousands of miles away in New York in a hotel room. Two years younger than all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Doing something that most of them, well, probably I can say with a fair degree of certainty, none of them have ever done or ever will do. No. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, Something else, though. Mm. And I'm kind of figuring this out as I go along, so bear with me. Brace yourself, guys. If he doesn't kiss her... Mm. In that hotel room. If he just professes his love, there's nothing wrong in that scene. No. But it goes, it would be better for his character as the sweet, naive kid to not kiss her because then the whole film is about adult men taking advantage of young women and then him being different. It would have set him aside from every other adult now in this film. I mean, you could argue that at this point he's been corrupted because up up until the scene where they deflower him, where he is taken advantage of, yeah, and he is sexually assaulted, and then you know, technically legally raped, um, we could you could argue that if you want to be really cynical, this is the he's been corrupted by yeah. this point, so he now feels it's fine to go ahead and do to go and kiss so, Penny. Yeah, because within the context of the world he's living in. However, I really like this film and I don't want to sully it, so I'm not going to say that. (laughs) He never does do drugs, though, does he? Through the whole film, with all the drugs, all the drinking, all the stuff going on around him. He never never once does it. We never see him take any drugs. Uh, We don't even see him drink fucking coffee. Like (laughs) The hardest thing we see him drinking is a Coke. And it's like, yeah, yeah, he doesn't. It's uh, he remains remarkably pure throughout, untarnished. Um, the minute the plane hits turbulence and the new manager <laughs> confesses to the hit and run, <laughs> you know they're all making it out unscathed, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was fairly obvious they were going to make it out unscathed anyway because there was no no way they were going to kill off basically the entire cast. <laughs> yeah, but not everybody has to die in a plane crash. No, that's true. 
There were for... plenty of incidental people on that plane that could have died. <laughs> could have died, like uh, Russell's bitch wife. Oh yeah. Whoever. Oh who that dick. That scene where they're all out to dinner. Yeah. Oh mate, a it's heartbreaking, and b just could you imagine like. I can only imagine what it'd be like to be in his position, just sat at that table next to like his girlfriend, wife, whatever she is. Whatever and then he is. looks up and then the girl he's been banging for the past year. And, and right he's discovered the girl he actually loves yeah. is, is right there across the room when she wasn't supposed to be just making things really awkward. I also really I... like his jacket in that scene as well, because I have one just like it. Yeah, you would. Um, <laughs> I actually thought the minute, she started kicking off and he stands up. Mm. It's a very protective gesture, right? Yeah. And in that moment, I'm like, I was watching a film. I was like, he's fucked it. She's going to have to like the wife must know. Yeah. But then they never say anything about it. It's not till they're on the plane that it comes out. Yeah. I love, I love that because Penny gets upset and runs off and both William and Russell stand up. To yeah. go after her, and that is a brilliant scene because I, for me, that right there cements the fact that Russell wasn't just using her and didn't just regard her as a groupie. That's the first point we see that there is actually something special there. Oh yeah, because because he's sat at that table desperately trying to control, control yeah. every micro movement of like show no emotion, yeah, not even look interested, pretend she's with someone else, and then she <laughs> and then she gets upset. And it's like and his he, immediate he, reaction is, "Oh God, I have to go to her." Yeah, yeah. I also love it when uh, when she says, "Who's that girl?" Uh, and the whole oh, band, yeah. everyone at the table confesses, "Yeah, yeah, I was sleeping with her." <laughs> it's just like, oh shit! <laughs> and obviously, then it leads on to the the plane scene, which is one of my favorites, my one of my favorite scenes in the the film. Yeah. Um, especially the extended version we get in the director's cut where everything yeah. comes out. Um, it's a, such a great change of pace from the rest of the film. Oh, yeah. The rest of the film ramps up and it almost plods along at doing this. It's doing its thing and it's all variations on the same theme. theme. And then you've got this scene, which is a complete departure from it and obviously brings a lot of the, 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 the conflict like to a head. Emotional culmination of everything we've seen up yeah. to that point. All, All the, the secrets are out. Like everybody's actually being honest with everybody. Yeah, and, yeah. It's it's a great scene, and it's it's kind of a watershed moment for both the film and the band because a lot of these oh, things. Every been... character on yeah. that plane has a moment. Yeah, and obviously when we we see that start to play out post that when the band are far more relaxed and comfortable with each other because they're not keeping these secrets anymore. They're not hiding these things. So they, again, they're back to where they, where you imagine they would have been 10 years ago when they were starting out sort of thing. It's almost a statement saying like, however you perceive a group of people getting Mm. along, being successful, doing their thing. There's always secrets. There's always secrets and things are always better when there aren't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can't stand doing this podcast with you anymore. Oh, thank fuck for that. Can you fuck off so I can get Lou in? <laughs> <laughs> just um, me and Lou would just sit here just talking about everything would somehow refer back to World of Warcraft or anime. <laughs> in that case, for the good of the podcast, I'm going to have to stay. Um, yeah! 
full on Vader moment here. Yeah. No. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, what was I going to say? Oh, moving on from the plane scene, yes. the, re- the reconciliation scene between Russell and Jeff. Yeah, why was that cut from the original? I don't know. That is an amazing so scene. Nice. Yeah. It's basically when they both have the conversation. It's when Jeff says, I'm the you that they get when, when you're they not can't around. have you. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like perfect. But then they and they leave on such good terms, you're like, oh, there's always hope. Yeah, well, however exactly. bad however bad things are, however tense things are, there's like if you just open up, have your conversation, find a common ground. There's always hope. And they they, they just reconnect because we see them throughout the film, especially in this cut. It doesn't come across so much in the theatrical release, but in this cut of the film, there's a lot of moments where we see Jeff look over. Attention is looking over and he's like, that focus should be on me, but it's on him. And there's a lot of little scenes like that, that obviously really build into that tension. And it means when he does explode about all this, it, you, you've got laid the groundwork for it. It's not yeah. come out of the blue sort of thing. It's much more built up. And it makes that scene, which, again, should have been in the theatrical. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was cut because there was less build up to it. It yeah. makes that reconciliation between the two of them so much more meaningful and, and just makes it an absolutely amazing scene that, yeah, yeah that the, the, the original film was poorer for not including, I think. Now, um, I couldn't let an episode about this film pass without mentioning the clothes i was gonna and that was my next question <laughs> was, was we've done many episodes in the past few months where we haven't talked about fashion uh-huh tell me tell me what you think about flares and horrible horrible shirts that they all oh, seem to be wearing you wound me you wound me now first and foremost i love the clothes in this film yes but the the the, the whole the whole cast, basically. There are some questionable choices in some of the uh, the, the background characters and stuff, but um, I, I love I love it. The, the laid back semi bohemian rock star look is one of my all time favourite looks. I am enamoured of it. However, I am also very very aware that it does not suit me at all. <laughs> It is yeah. not a look that I can pull off, despite trying yeah, several either. times over the years. It doesn't work for me. But damn, like almost everyone else in this film just pulls it off so effortlessly. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it yeah. just suits them. If they didn't look so good doing it, I would be very angry about it. But... Like, Jay- Jason Lee looks like a man that should have just walked off that set on the last day when it wrapped. Yeah. And just continued the rest of his life. I'm, I'm at least half Jeff. convinced that the wardrobe is just his own yeah. because it just, it's like a second skin on him and yeah. all of them. You say about the shirts, those style of shirts, I fucking love them. I really do. And, but they don't suit me at all. And it, I'm eternally gutted. If I could, if I could be reincarnated at some point, I would love to come back as a 70s rock star in America just to be able to wear those clothes. I still have. I haven't managed to to bring myself to get rid of them. I still have my cowboy boots downstairs. Oh, really? Yes. They need resoling again because I wore them. 
I got them rebuilt, didn't I? I had to have the soles totally replaced yeah. because they were destroyed. I got them rebuilt. I spent I spent more getting the soles repaired than I did buying these vintage cowboy boots. I and never it, did. I never did get that phase that you and Dal went through with the cowboy boots and stuff. Fucking love cowboy boots. I never got it's, that. It's I've I'm not sure if it's come across, but I know I have said before to to several people that know me, Americana is not one of my great loves. Oh, I'm no. not a fan of it in general. But cowboy boots and cowboy shirts are they are the one of my weaknesses. And yeah, one day, one day, come come June twenty first, the cowboy boots may have to make a return just for one day only. <laughs> Unfortunately, the only thing that really suits me is a hazmat suit with the face screen blacked <laughs> out. But it did, watching this film did remind me of something. Have you ever owned a pair of flares? Oh, God. don't you remember? Yeah, I just yeah. wanted you to tell the listeners. Oh, um, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was that was a that was an interviewing technique, wasn't it? And I just balls it up for you. Um, that was a leading question. That was yeah. a very leading question. Yes. Um, what was it called? I pop, remember buying a pop boutique. Buying a pair of pop boutique in London. Pop boutique. Yeah. I had several pairs from them. Cordroy flares. I had brown cordroy flares. Brown. I had the sand coloured ones. I had the beige ones. Um, I, I think I only had one pair. I went Wes. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. He, he took me to Pop Boutique the first time and he was buying flares and all this stuff. Yeah. And then a few months later, I'd been watching him wear these flares thinking they're actually pretty cool. Yeah, actually so pretty cool. I went to Pop Boutique and I bought my own flares. Um <laughs> And yeah, I wore them to death. Literally wore them yeah. to death. But it, I stopped at the one pair of flares. I bought several because I even have, back then I was fashion fashion yeah. afflicted. <laughs> I've got so many flashbacks of you in those sand coloured flares yeah. with Adidas. Um, what were them Adidas that you oh, and Shelto ones? Shelto ones, the super Adidas superstars. Yeah. Yeah, I still love them now. as well. I've got I've got a pair of them. In, in my oh, bedroom I right love, now. Not the Shelto ones, but Adidas Superstars are one of my all-time favourite oh, trainers. No, the Shelto trainers, they are so fucking comfortable as well. That's why I got another pair, because I was like, oh, they still sell them. They did a re-release the other year, yeah, uh, two years ago or so, and I, I bought a pair. And after wearing basically nothing but Converse and Winkle Pickers for yeah. about the last 20 years, uh, putting on a pair of those, it was like walking on fucking clouds, mate. They are so comfortable. <laughs> As we have this conversation, I've realised that I'm a very phase-orientated person. Because <laughs> in the 90s, all I would wear were Adidas <laughs> Campus. Yeah. Oh, that God. was it. Just Adidas Campus. Then I discovered Converse. And all I would wear were Converse to the point that they would be falling apart on my feet, having to get <laughs> yeah. back together. Then I switched to Nike Dunks. <laughs> and I was really into Nike Dunks and then they stopped making Nike Dunks so I had to upgrade to the Nike Air Force One which is where I'm at now which is basically all I wear except <laughs> for my except for my Vans if I need to look if I need to look smart but because I refer, I refuse to wear real shoes because I fucking hate them <laughs> I will wear Vans instead um, but yeah I'm a very phase orientated person I'd like choose one thing and I'm like that is it but However long it takes for me to get bored of this, this is all I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah. I like to. I used to. I, I would wear. I wore Reebok Classics for 
fucking years. Oh, yeah, I had a few pair. I, I did. I, I can't lie. I had a pair of grey Reebok Classics that I bought in Florida. And they were ugly. Ugly <laughs> as sin. But I bought them because I'd never seen them in England. Yeah. And I was like, I, I remember the only motherfucker in England with these night and i bought some dickies as well you must have been early 2000s oh god wearing my dickies with my oh my god what a dickhead i was (laughs) thing is though if like they like i was wearing like super four size too big baggy dickies in the early 2000s i'm actually considering getting getting some like proper fitting dickies now because i quite like them do it man yeah i'm going back to that they make ridiculous i've got a, a dickies work jacket um, and it's really, really comfortable. Yeah. It's, part, it's supposed to be part of my Ghostbuster costume, but Actually, it's so comfortable, I, I just wear it. <laughs> when I first discovered the used, I remember seeing like a video. They were practically or a sponsored by Dickies at yeah. one point. <laughs> and they were all wearing these Dickie shorts. And I remember going out and buying Dickies. And for years, that was it. I just wore these Dickies, brown pair and a black pair of Dickies shorts that yeah. I wore everywhere. Yeah. Oh, oh mate. Jesus. We're so easily influenced. We, we really, really <laughs> are. I mean, I'm looking at this film, and I, I it took it took all the willpower I have not to immediately go onto fucking eBay and start googling '70s shirt, like searching for '70s shirts that I could wear. To be fair, <laughs> with the with the hair you got now, would you let that down and like shook I, your head a bit? You I, could, you could... <laughs> I did that yesterday afternoon. I was there. I went yeah. to the bathroom. I, I went to the loo. Went to the bathroom. Washed my hands, and I, as I do, there's now a hairbrush in there. While my hair's this long, I'm brushing it out, and I'm like, actually. I've got the do going on. And I'm yeah, like, I could, I could be a stubble, and I'm like, no, I, I don't think I could pull off the the, the little Russell tash. tash. I was like, but I've got, I was thinking more of the Jason vibe going on, the Jason Lee look. The Jason yeah. Lee look. Yeah, I need to lose about five stone, if you and then I can wear the t-shirts. <laughs> your hair and your facial hair hair growing ability of this age, with yeah. your body type of like body type 20, and year old. of the. Yeah, it would have been perfect. I think I told this story before, but I think it bears it bears um, it bears it repeating. Such, it bears repeating because it was such a traumatic day in my life. Yeah. <laughs> it really impacted a lot on, probably still impacts me to today. <laughs> I remember going to Camden with you and Dal. <laughs> I remember I'd been to Camden and, and gone clothes shopping, and I come home and I told you and Dal about it. Yeah. And I remember one day we all saved our money and we all went to Camden. And we're in all these second-hand clothes shops, and you and Dal were able to walk in, pick anything off the off the railings, yeah. go and try them on. And I I was chubbier than I am now in those days. And yeah. I couldn't find a single thing that would fit me. And I remember just watching you two and like being not in a negative way, but just being so jealous. Like, yeah. I wish I had the physique that these two have. Yeah. I've like, got. One of the the shirts, um, the vintage rough shirt. Oh, the ruffle. The ruffle shirt, the, the, the ruffle shirt oh, down the front. Uh, uh, I've I still did find, got that. I did find. I do remember. I did manage yep, to find did. one of them white tuxedo ruffle shirts. I think didn't we both when we played at the town? They were the Dicky Bow ones. Yeah, with the the, the panel yeah. fronts. This yeah. is the one with the triple ruff down the oh, front. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've still got that in my wardrobe. I can't. It's such a beautiful beautiful shirt i can't i haven't been able to wear it for about 20 years but i refuse to throw it away i i tried to put it on about three or four years ago um i could just about squeeze my arms into the sleeves and it stopped here like at my nipples 
I just could not do it up. And yeah, this is this is back when I was a little bit uh, well, a fair amount slimmer than I am now. And I just get it out every so often. And I just look at it and just sigh. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, if I could, I remember that day. Look, most people that probably saw us probably thought we like talked about our outfits for the day but i remember both of you and me both turning up for that gig at the town park looking at each other like we're both wearing ruffle white shirts with blue ties yeah i took my tie off because of that and yeah with our ripped jeans put your leather jacket on on top yeah yeah, i wore the leather jacket at least for the start of the gig i was like yeah we've got to mix it up but yeah then we by by halfway through the gig we were basically just there in in uniform Oh, thing is, like, I'm skinny enough now that if I still had some of the clothes that I wore yeah. when I was 20, they would fit me. Yeah. And I and I didn't think about it until now, but now I am so gutted that I threw all them <laughs> clothes away. I, uh, I, I'm now big enough that the Parker that I had, in fact, I've still got that Parker lurking somewhere, would probably fit me because that was like a fucking tent on me back then. Oh, and, yeah. And really that leather, yeah. that leather jacket, I had that, and I got rid of it because I was like, it's too big for me. It's never going to fit me. And now it would, it's my yeah. size. It would fit me perfectly. <laughs> uh, and I, I could probably it. also, rather than donating it to a fucking charity shop like I did, I could probably sell it for about a ton. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Vintage leather motorcycle jacket like that. Uh, oh. I remember that, Parker. Uh, for those of you who have joined the uh, yeah. just joined the episode uh, towards the end, this is old guys reminiscing about clothes. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> Keep an eye out for um, later in the year when we turn this segment into an entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, why not? We're we're setting up podcasts for everything else. Yeah. Uh, I I have another Lester Bangs quote. I'm down okay. to my last three notes. You'll be relieved to know. Um, um, I'm down to my last two. Oh, there we go. Again, we're nearly synchronized. Yeah. Uh, this is another scene which was, uh, well, I don't know if it was cut or just heavily, heavily edited in the original release. Uh, when Lester is talking to William after the tour and he, after the whole magazine oh. article has been denied by the band. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And Lester says uh, something which is, um, well, a very true statement as far as I'm concerned. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. And that's very, very true. And it's probably why we're such good friends. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We've spent our entire lives together being uncool and sharing stuff. So, yeah, uh, yeah you know, we've spent a lot of currency on each other, so to speak. <laughs> so um, I'm part of this big group of friends. There's like 25 of us. And um we hang out all the time and we all kind of have some stuff in common, but hang on. This kid loves Star Wars the same way I do. <laughs> Fuck all them. I'm going to go hang out and play Star Wars um, Warhammer, Star in his Wars Warhammer in his garden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There was like, I didn't know it at the time. I, what, 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 what were we? It was the year the year we left school so it's probably 98 so i was 16 i didn't realize at the time but i thought about it a lot going back it was like there was this phase of time at school where all the stuff i loved was cool yeah and everybody i hung out with loved it but then we left school 
and people started getting into like I don't know Jamiroquai and people <laughs> started being townies and going yeah. to the town and I would just look around at people and like oh so it turns out that you were only into stuff because it was cool yeah I actually love this stuff and then I and I met you and Star Wars was the first bonding thing and I think the first time I went in your room I saw some Oasis CDs and I was like you like a Oasis? Like, do you actually like them, or is it because they're cold? You're like, <laughs> no, I actually not. And I was just like, oh my god. And I, yeah, I think there was a moment, although I didn't realise it at the time, there was a moment of like, ah, oh, Rooney is my spirit animal. Like, <laughs> this is where I belong. I it don't was belong all over there. there. <laughs> I don't belong over there with the cool kids. I belong over here, where we just love stuff because we love stuff. Yeah. I think this is where I went wrong at, at school because I was never. No, you were too busy being like, "I love Star Trek. Look at my Star Trek bag." I was, I was always into the things I was into, and it didn't matter whether it was cool or not at the time. Which is how comes I was so horrendously unpopular at secondary school because at that that was the point where things started to become. It was like, "Oh no, you're into this because it's cool, and that's yeah. why you like these things." And that sort of changed, and I never really did i i liked the things i liked and i never caught yeah. on to the fact that if you like the things that are cool you you get accepted into the the, the, the clicks which is why i didn't and why i hated secondary school <laughs> i think i think i just loved what i loved mm. and it i was just lucky enough that i loved football and i went to school i ended up going to senior school with kids i met at eight years old playing football yeah I loved Oasis. I loved music in general. And that was what was cool at the time. So I was lo- I locked out there. <laughs> and <laughs> I had friends in my that I made in my class that I was good friends with. That were friends with the cool kids. And yeah. if I hadn't made them, the kids I grew up playing football with were friends with the cool kids. So <laughs> I always had an in. But I do I do remember like what? 14, 15, 16, 17 was just years of house parties. And all those house parties were soundtracked by music I loved. Mm. And I remember going to a party one day and suddenly they were playing Jamiroquai and just house music, well, not house, but whatever was the new cool thing. Yeah. And I was just like, I remember standing in a party in a house in Catherine's no, sorry, Sumners, mm-hmm. out of my face, watching people dance to Jamiroquai. And I remember thinking, suddenly I'm incredibly out of place. <laughs> I'm not cool anymore. <laughs> All the things that I thought we had in common, we don't really have in common. As I've grown into an adult, I realized that you can have some things in common with someone and be completely different to them in other ways. Yeah. Like this, like this, and yeah. <laughs> still have a lifelong friendship, but at that age, I was just like, Wow, I do not fit in here at all. Yeah, it was the first moment of just been me realizing what the rest of my life was going to be, which was just not fitting in. <laughs> it's the 70s, Rolling Stone is the mecca <laughs> of, of music, but the offices. <laughs> Looked so bland <laughs> and boring that they would never fly in 2021, would they? Oh, God, no. no. There's not even a sign outside the office of <laughs> no. Golden Stone magazine. It's just a nondescript building. And I'm like, 
that would never fly today. You'd have to have a massive sign outside saying Rolling Stone. It'd have to be individual and cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was back then when it it was it was it was a music paper, and it it was all about the music, and it was it was still less about looking good and more about substance. I didn't write it down, but when you get to see the cover shot of. Stillwater on the front of Rolling yeah, Stone, yeah. Rolling Stone, and it is legit a paper. It was actually a paper. Yeah, it took me back to the early days of buying Enemy before it went to become a glossy magazine when it was Enemy and Melody Maker. Melody when they Maker, were actually papers. That. Oh, I, I forgot all about Maker. it. It was a that was a nostalgic shot in the arm. Yeah, remembering all the times I were, buying them. Yeah, they were printed and distributed like a regular paper, newspaper. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't glossy magazines and you didn't have to go to a special rack to buy them. They were just there. They were my Bibles back in the day. I never missed an issue. I hung on every word. They were more influential on me than the actual Bible was ever been. We we all hated Johnny cigarettes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Again, anyone from that era that used to read uh, Melody Maker in the NMA will will know. But people either loved or hated him because... It depended whether they were a Blur or an Oasis fan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The old Penny Lane switcheroo at the end is perfect. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And she gives him the address and sends him to to William. Because it would have been a really naff, really Hollywood ending had Penny... If if Penny had ended up with either of them, yeah, it, I think it would have been slightly better had it been William. But um, yeah, it was lined up and it was made to think, made, made to make everybody believe that Russell going, and Penny yeah. were gonna uh, ride off into the sunset together. But I think it wouldn't have worked because Penny was an ideal; she was a, a dream. Yeah. And if either of them had caught her, that dream wouldn't have lasted one way or the other. It no. would have become far too mundane and real and i think probably most people listening to this we all know someone like that in our pasts that person that for a a summer a month a a week uh stole our hearts and then vanished like evaporated like morning mist we've all got someone like that that we've known at some point in our pasts and had we ever actually really you know got into a relationship with that person it would never have lasted it would never have lasted and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that that ideal that perfect moment yeah. sort of in our in our heads in our past because it would have ruined it and i think that's exactly what penny is which is why because she jets build, off the rock at the end you build these people up in your mind you put them on a pedestal but the minute you actually get in a relationship with them and you like the the walls of perception change yeah. You realise, oh, hang on, then oh, I think I'll. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. Oftentimes, the person you actually discover behind this this person you built up in your head is better than yeah. what you had because they're real. Because they 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 offer so much more than this dream ever could. Yeah. But we don't want to see that. Penny Lane isn't isn't that to us. Penny Lane is this ideal, and she is this this nymph like figure that we don't want I to think... see growing old. I think, yeah, you're right. It would have been the Hollywood ending. Mm. But this film strikes me as a coming-of-age film for yeah. William, Penny, 
and Russell. Oh, very much, yeah. If he'd got Penny, it would have kind of sent the the message that you can treat a woman like shit, take her for granted, and she'll still come running to you. She'll come running. Yeah. If William had got her, he would never have learned that life lesson of like no. you don't always get what you want just because you fall in love with someone what doesn't you mean you're going to get them. What you want isn't always what you need. Yeah. And if, um, yeah, basically that. Sorry, I was I was going to go on for a third. <laughs> go one, on there for a third. third no, there is no third. Yeah. And I was like looking at my three fingers, like what's the third one? <laughs> um, yeah, like it's he. Russell strikes me as the kind of person that was kind of like a sports star now who's really good at a really young age or one of these people that blows up at a very young age and then never ever has to mature past a certain yeah. point he strikes me as the kid that joined the band and started living that life as a young man and has never ever had to kind of live outside of that bubble so when William's mum says to him you know you could be a man of substance you don't have yeah. to be this and he's like that freaked me out. That's that moment where he's like, <laughs> when he kind of looks at it, like he, the again, the walls of perception come down and he realizes he's living in this mad circus world where he is like the center of attention and he doesn't ever, anything he does is never wrong. Yeah. He gets away with murder and it's, it's not till the end when she sends him to William's house that he kind of, well, there's two things. She sends him to William's house and he realises he's not getting her. Yeah. He realises that he doesn't always get everything he wants. And mm-hmm. if he really wanted her, he should have taken her when he had the opportunity. When he had the opportunity, yeah. But he would is also the bit where he sits down and he says, don't worry, I called Rolling Stone. I told him it's all true. And yeah. it's like, that's his breakthrough moment. Yeah. That's his moment where, because you see the bit where the band are all talking about the article mm. and they're all freaking out. Like he's going to tell them this. And I think Jason Lee says, how hard is it to make us look cool? <laughs> but in that moment at the end, he's like, it doesn't really matter if we're cool or not. No, the truth is what's important. The, the truth here. is what's important here. Yeah. I think the third thing I was going to say was when I was looking at my three fingers, was <laughs> if Penny ends up with William or Russell, she never she never turns her back on what her life was and goes to yeah she never gets that new start that she's she's been talking about from the beginning yeah and that's her moment of being like right i'm this is not healthy for me this lifestyle i'm living is two-dimensional hollow and is not going to take me anywhere i need to extricate myself from this situation go to morocco figure out (laughs) who I am with without the pen without pen this yeah without this persona <clears throat> so lady, yeah. lady goodman yeah <laughs> and that's the bit right at the end when when russell says i never even knew her real name just see that smile come A across william's, smile face. On william's face yeah and he's like oh i did mean something to her she told it me is, her real name it's such a feel good ending isn't it it is, but not in the traditional way. Not in the traditional way. I think th- there's there are a few films that I've seen that leave you with, or leave me at least, with with such a warm glow when the credits roll as this film does, because you've been on this you've been on this ride with these these 
people. And this film does a marvelous job of investing you in the people, in the yeah. characters. Um, and you get to the end and it, she pulls the switcheroo and the ending isn't the traditional Hollywood ending where one yeah. of the, one of the protagonists rides off into the sunset with the girl. It's, it's, different it's very different but it's different in the best way possible because it gives it's the perfect ending for this film this film kind of does what marvel took all them films to do before they got to endgame <laughs> they make you they invest you in all of their important characters yeah before the dramatic finale yeah so you f- are feeling for ev- all like william russell even jeff you feel for jeff yeah, to a degree, because he's constant, because he has a breakthrough of, yeah. I don't need to be the center of attention. Yeah. I can, I can be perfectly happy and content just doing what I'm doing, and I'll just keep banging his wife just to <laughs> keep on the playfield. But like, I was just sitting there as you were talking, thinking, what other nearly three hour films would I sit down and watch again in the future? And I'm thinking, Endgame's about the only one. And then I was like, yeah. this film did everything it took marvel all them films to do because it does like you're right you're in you get the little bit at the beginning where you learn about william Mm. and you get introduced to him Uh, but then you meet penny and you get a bit of introduction to her then you meet stillwater and you get a bit of but from that moment on once all three of them are part of the story you are completely invested in how this is going to play out Mm. how that all how are any of them going to get out of this situation they find themselves yeah, in? Yeah, how do they how do they extricate themselves from this? Because especially sort of in mid the whole midsection, the whole act two of this film, there, there doesn't seem to be any way out. It's just, especially with all the, the the side characters chiming in, going, "Oh yeah, you know, this is I was going to like when Dick says, you know, that was fifteen years ago." Yeah, and then Penny says, you know, that she got picked out of the crowd by uh, whoever Keith it was, Richards. Keith Richards. Um, and you get this idea that people are they're just on this merry-go-round and it's non-stop and they don't want to leave and they it, they just stumbling from one thing to the next it's sort the, of thing. Is the bit where Penny says this person went to England? I can't remember their names, but this person yeah. went to England with um, Deep Purple. Yeah. This per this person went with Humble Pie, and it is literally that just continuation they're just continuing from one thing to the next. It's like this yeah. bit's come to an end, but nobody says goodbye, so they've just moved on to the next bit. Yeah. I also actually, I didn't write a note about this, but I thought it was really good. Um, the subplot between William and Lexia, uh, yeah. Anna Paquin's character. Because in this, in this cut of the film, there's, there's almost a pseudo relationship there. Yeah. I, I think we know which one of the three band-aids William actually lost his V plates to. Oh yeah. Um, and it's the, the, this this kind of almost there's several moments there where the two of them kind of have this connection, but Lexia is focused still on on following the bands, and William yeah. is focused on uh, Penny. And you yeah. kind of get the the impression that if William had torn his eyes away from Penny long enough, he, he could have, have been, yeah. he with 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 Lexia, which would have been a very very different film. <laughs> it's the recurring theme as well. Like if you don't. If you don't get what we're talking about right now, they do kind of tell you mm. every time William's like, oh, no, I'm going home tomorrow. Yeah. And then every time finds... it's like, I've got to get this interview by before this point and I've got to be back. I've got to uh, leave tomorrow. 
Come to Cleveland with us. No, come to Greenville come to, with us. You come, oh, you're coming to you're coming to Arizona, and it's just like you're, you're going to be in so and so, aren't you? And it's just like every time, it's just like yeah. okay, he, yeah. He just he struggles to find a way to be like, no, I need to get back to reality because he's he's. It's getting more and more sucked into things. Sucked into the circus, into it's, the merry-go-round. It's not until, what's his name, Ben Fung says, no, you need to get back here. You need to get back what you here. Got, yeah. Because this is serious. You're a professional. That he has to come out of the situation. And then ev- the whole world he's built in his head kind of gets crumbled when Russell says, no, it's all lies. Yeah. And I, and I, and like, there's that, beautiful beautiful moment where he sat at the table at rolling stone yeah. ben fung's one side rain wilson's the other they're both infusing about, about his the article. story the, yeah. the cover story and then the woman just walks in and says it's all lies and okay. they literally not a word they just get up walk just out get up and walk out and it's like to the next thing and it's like that is how fleeting certain things can be yeah i mean obviously yeah. As part of the feel-good ending, we see that the story does get published. Yeah. Um, after Russell phones up and says, "No, it it was all true. We just lied because it makes us look bad." <laughs> um, my last note is possibly the best thing that Lester Bang says in this whole film, which is saying something because he, he says a says lot, a lot of, of good stuff. things. Women will always be a problem for guys like us. <laughs> Most of the great art in the world is about that very problem. Yeah. That is so true. When he was saying that, I was, I was thinking about it and I was like, God damn, no, yeah, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> All of it is is uncool people creating art about being miserable because the opposite sex aren't interested in them because they're uncool or that's you know how they're perceiving it. But yeah. And those but the uncool people with talent yeah. are able to become cool because of their talent. The rest of them make two-bit podcasts yeah. <laughs> where they infuse about 20-year-old films that most people don't care about. The rest of them get way too big for their station and start trying to tell men how to be better in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah. True, though. True, fam. Nah, fam. <laughs> nah, fam. That is well true, though, bruv. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any note? more notes. No, that no. was the, the feel-good ending was, was basically my last note. You don't have a wrap up. No, the feel good ending was that, but a wrap up. Um, okay. everyone should go and watch this film because it's awesome. Yeah. Even even if you're not a music fan, like I said at the beginning, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, 70s rock, American rock music, but fucking love this film. We've been on a run the last few weeks actually of doing things that, that I like love, it. and it's been great. I know. In fact, is next week our book club episode? Well, it better not be because I've not even looked at the book. So, oh, it's dead easy to read, but I've got a funny feeling it might be. But no, uh, then we decide the last the last week of every month will be the film club episode. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you, yeah, you've got yes. two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, right, I'm going to read the book twice because I'm I'm like already a third of the way through and I've only re- read it two nights. Because <laughs> I've decided what I want to do next week. I'm I'm ahead of the game this week. So oh wow. Good. Okay. Um. Well, we can tell. Oh, we should probably mention that actually, because um, in, just in case we haven't been announcing it, and just in case people do want to plan ahead, um, the book club week after next is Star Wars X-wing Rogue Squadron. Um, obviously my choice, and I'm yeah. really excited about it because I've read that book about 
a dozen times because <laughs> I really like it. And next week we will be doing the faculty. Oh shit, son! I found, on, <laughs> I found it on Sky the other day. They just added it, and I was like, "Download! We're doing oh, that!" Hell yeah! Yeah, man, I haven't seen that in years. Here we got a bit of Elijah Wood, a bit of Josh Hartnett. Yeah. Oh mate, brilliant! I can't, I can't <laughs> wait. And it's not as long as this film, so no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a score? Do I have a score? Yes, I do. It is getting a nine from me. Going into this, I thought, oh, it's probably just going to... I remember liking it, but I haven't seen it for years. Probably get a seven. But no. Literally an hour into the film last <laughs> night, I was like, this is getting a nine. I can't even... <laughs> I can't stop myself from watching long enough to write any notes. This film is getting a nine with a bullet because it is that good. It is... It is a seriously, seriously good film. I mean, if, if our scores mean anything to anyone out there, 18. That's up there with fucking Black Panther. Yeah, and Wonder Woman. That's Wonder how Woman. good of a film yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, something you said just now, what did you say? Uh, even know, even if you're not into music, mm. you're, this film is, the music is the backdrop. It's the love yeah. story, right? So if you're into love stories, watch this. It's a, It's really, really good. Yes, it really, really is a good film. And I I don't think I can recommend watching this heartily enough. <laughs> I think everybody on Earth should watch it at least once in their life. Yes, there we go. Wow, that's a pretty strong endorsement from us. <laughs> Find what you love. Believe in it. Positive things will happen. I am a golden 